Welcome to episode 10 of the Shark Bites Podcast, a Throwdown Thursday production. I am your host, Patsy the Angry Nerd, or you can call me Patrick Rahal, whatever you want to call me. It doesn't matter because today I am joined by three more folks to talk about some more Star Wars because who doesn't want to talk Star Wars in this, the most delightful of times as we approach the episode 9 Rise of Skywalker debut or premiere, as it were. And uh, today I am joined by three fellow podcasters. I am joined first by Stephen of the Super Retro Throwback Reviews. How are you doing, Stephen? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you for joining me. I'm also joined by Phil of the Dark Discussions Podcast. Phil, how are you doing? Uh, good. How's it going, Patrick? Going all right. And uh, also uh, returning, uh, actually making his first Shark Bites appearance, uh, <laughs> is a gentleman who was on Throwdown Thursday with us recently to talk about uh, Harriet Tubman is uh, my buddy Corey of the From the Canopy podcast. How you doing, Corey? I'm good. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining. I'm glad we uh, got all of our issues sorted, and uh, now we are ready to go. So today we are talking episodes seven and eight as we are quickly approaching the premiere of episode nine, which will close out the uh, Skywalker nonology. I guess is the correct term. Mm-hmm. Three trilogies would be a nonology, I guess. Or trilogy of trilogies. So <laughs> now um, I was in the theater when this premiered. I was there early, got to see like the 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 Thursday night instead of the Friday night premiere. Uh, Stephen, when you first saw episode seven, where were you? Did you see it early? Were you excited about it? Uh, give us a little bit of background. Uh, I believe I think I saw it opening night. I didn't see it the Thursday. I saw it the Friday opening night. Sold out theater. I, like every J.J. Abram film, if this was a home run, I enjoyed it. Um, some things, which I'll, if we go into it, um, I had some issues with, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's what we're here for. And, uh, Stephen, give us a little bit of background on your history with Star Wars so folks can kind of understand where you're coming from with this. So my family uh, grew up with Star Wars. Um, uh, So I inherited the whole Star Wars thing. Um, I still have all the VHSs of Star Wars, all the original Star Wars VHSs. Um, Star Wars... I started playing the games, you know, Super Star Wars Trilogy on Super Nintendo, Shadows of the Empire for N64, which to this day I will still not know why Lucasfilm or Disney, however, never made it into a film. Um, But that'll never happen. Um, But it's one of the greatest uh, in-between movies Sorry, in between adaptations made, but Disney doesn't acknowledge that. Um, anyway, um, seeing Force Awakens was my first Star Wars movie I saw in the theater. 
So you can obviously tell I'm a diehard Star Wars fan. <laughs> uh, Phil, same question to you. Uh, when did you first get to see this, and what was your level of anticipation based on your history of uh, Star Wars films? Uh, well, um, I actually was supposed to see it. Well, I was actually in the theater on Thursday night, IMAX, uh, with a friend of mine. Uh, but um, we had a newborn, and my wife was having problems with uh, the newborn. So I had to actually walk out before the film started and, and basically throw away the money. So I had to go back three or four days later, and I just started on theater. Um, and... Um, yeah, I, I thought it was uh, solid. Um, the the Ray character uh, had a lot of charisma, and and uh, the BB-8 uh, was a, was a great you know replacement type for R two D two. So uh, I, I liked it. Uh, it was pretty solid. Corey, same to you. Um, where were you, and what was your uh, what was your thoughts? Uh, about um... it? Unfortunately, I didn't go day one for this, and I regret it because I think maybe the next day someone you know I encountered actually spoiled a major death. You know, Ooh. so when that happens in the film, I'm just like, like I didn't know exactly when it was going to happen, but even when it happened, it was just like, ah, oh, damn, you know, there goes this thing from it. But um, I was highly anticipating this film. I mean, just leading up to it, the trailer, just the hype, you know, J.J. Abrams and um. There was a lot going for it, and um, I really love this um, Star Wars universe. I'm not like a super, um, you know, crazy fan, you know, getting into, you know, planets and all the, you know, the alien races and the, you know, the smaller stories and that, but I kept up with it, you know, since I was really young, you know. I think I got first put on watching, um, you know, the earlier films on um, HBO or something like that, you know. And I just remember, even before I saw the films, you know, having some of these toys and action figures. Like, I actually had that original Vader and I wish I still had it to this day, man. You know what I'm saying? I can imagine that's probably worth a lot of money. But um, I've definitely, you know, loved this series, man. Definitely hyped for it. And I think I ended up, um, I can't remember. What was the release date for um, Episode 7? Uh, it was uh, mid-December, mid to, uh, like, around the 20th, somewhere in there. Uh, December 18th. 2015. Yeah, I might have actually saw this on Christmas Day or maybe a couple days before. I can't remember somewhere around then. So about a weekend. Had a blast. Yeah, yeah, had a blast, man. It was great. I personally remember being super anticipating, uh, super hyped for this. Um, there was uh, a lot like that I was, you know, speculating on, and I did. I do remember talking to my wife, and I told Ashes, I said, "If Han or Chewbacca dies, I will openly weep in the in the in the theater." <laughs> With zero shame or regret, I don't care, because I I I sense that maybe somebody there might be a, a major catastrophic uh, death in this series, or or in this film to start off the series because they really want to hook you in and you know and, and show you something you haven't seen before and you know for the most part Star Wars has been devoid of significant deaths throughout the uh, you know throughout the entire run. Yeah. So, I mean, unless it was stuff that you already knew was going to come, like stuff that you knew was going to happen because, you know, the prequel trilogy came out, you know, two decades after, you know, the original trilogy. So one of the things I liked about uh, this opening scene, because I do want to, you know, cover it from the beginning to the end. One of the things I liked is you get to see you're dropped in the middle of this story. You have no idea what's going on. 
and you see the you know a couple of characters. You got Max von Sydow and you got Oscar Isaacs as uh, Laura Santeca and Poe Dameron, respectively. You know, this will begin to make things right, and you know he hands the the little chip to, <clears throat> that we later find out has a map to Luke Skywalker. Hands it over to Poe, and it's like, what do you mean make things right? Who is this guy? Where does he come from? And you never find out anything again about him because he. Uh, as the first order now, and I still think of them as the empire. I know it's the first order, but I really still think of them as the empire because they use the same ships. They use the same, you know, basic designs for stormtroopers. You know, everything is very, very similar. They just built on it, but they just changed the name a little bit to kind of make it seem a little more flashy. The empire 2.0. Yeah. (laughs) But one of the most jaw dropping things about that opening scene wasn't just the brutality and sheer like viciousness of the first order just mowing down everyone in the village like they presented no threat but who cares let's kill them i want to talk about uh, your guys impression when you saw poe run up fire the blaster bolt and kylo ren just freeze it it's like holy shit what just happened Corey? Uh, i'll start with you this time your that was, initial that impression. That was a crazy moment, man, because I actually just watched this um, yesterday. I was in the shop, and, you know, it was kind of slow in there, so I put it on, and that stood out, you know, immediately watching that. But not only that, right before that, you know, like you said, the brutality of, um, you know, the Empire. I think that's the first time we got to see that, you know, up front of them dealing with just, you know, the a regular population. I mean, we've seen the aftermath in other films, but to actually see it happening, um, there's one shot with one of the aliens and, um, and he just has a look of terror on his face, you know, as this massacre is going down. And then, like you said, you see this scene, oh, it's like, damn, this is hopeless. And, uh, you know, Poe tries to fight back, boom, throws a bolt, and then Kylo freezes it. Like, that's just crazy to me because you're getting an indication immediately of how powerful this guy is, what he's working with, what he could do, you know. And, and it, it was wild. That was definitely a jaw-dropping moment, you know, watching this film. Steven, Early. next to you. Um. Oh, it was a cold night, I remember, and they had the AC blasting. <laughs> Once I saw that scene, I'm not sure if I, I got shivers down my spine, but I'm not sure if it was just the scene itself or the cold <laughs> theater. But um, yeah. I was just like, wow, okay. Yeah, that's how you're opening it up. How about okay. you, Phil? Um, I Yeah, I, I was uh, surprised because I – Sure, how uh, Disney was going to take the series because, uh, as we know, the the first six, only one of them was PG thirteen, were PG, so the violence was even less than than James Bond violence. So when we I saw this, I immediately said, "Yeah, this is going to uh, be a hard PG thirteen," which uh, I guess somewhat surprised me. So. Um, you know, in a good way. It doesn't. It didn't matter to me either way. But but it was just uh, like okay. So this is where Disney's going because Disney. You know, they always. You always know that even though this is a subsidiary, they are usually quote unquote family friendly. So when, when we saw this, I was like, okay, they're they're uh, they're not going the, the regular Disney route here. Yeah, because the other thing that stood out to me from that scene, you know, other than just like you know the first order just mowing people down that were not fighting back and were just trying to like cower in fear was when Poe hopped into the X-Wing and started firing backwards, and he hit that one trooper, and 
you see for the first time in Star Wars blood. You know, you yeah. see <laughs> him like you know he and he touches the face of what we later find out is FN two one eight seven or Finn. I mean, yeah. that was a good way to kind of differentiate Finn from everyone else. Mm-hmm. But it also, like, when was it like we've seen, you know, we see the Tauntaun get gutted. We see limbs ripped off over and over again. And, but we never see really any blood. I mean, sure, in the cantina on Mos Eisley, we see the limb on the ground and a little bit of blood around it. But that's it. Yeah. Like, we don't see anyone... You know, for the amount of of limbs that get cut off in this series, and the amount of times people get <laughs> shot, uh, mm-hmm. you rarely see any blood anywhere. Well, so. it's almost like the lightsaber. You know, I guess they trained us to just expect that it's going to automatically cauterize your wound. You know, so you're not going to get this blood spurt. But I feel like the way they're hacking these limbs, there's got to be something. But but I'm willing to overlook that. And like you said, when they when he got it. Um, the the ice creature, you know, Tauntaun. purposely, yeah, the Tauntaun. So it's like see through, you know what I'm saying? The, yeah. There's no blood. It's just like a milky fluid, kind of like a uh, bishop from um, Aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Android <laughs> blood. Right. Yeah, well, so, in, in this part, well, I, I was saying it was kind of, I was expecting more. If they're going to go pre G13, it would be like James Bond violence because, like in Goldeneye, I remember there's a whole scene where Bond like wipes out all these people. And and they all die, but there's no blood. But Star Wars, you would think, would be similar to that, or or even less. And here, like you said, they, they had blood, and that, that was kind of shocking. Yeah, because you you don't really see it throughout the entire trilogy, and even you know in the next couple of movies, you or I was going to say next couple, but in Episode Eight, you don't see that. But you see it a couple of times in this movie, like you, and you see some pretty significant. Injuries, and we'll get to that when we get to the uh, towards the end. But you mm-hmm. see some pretty significant stuff. So Kylo Ren senses something because you know with Finn or FN two one eight seven as they know him because that's his stormtrooper designation. Because he's the only one who doesn't fire on the uh, helpless uh, villagers there, and they take Poe prisoner. And again, like that frozen blaster bolt. Again, for a lot of the uh, force abilities that we have seen. They take a lot of concentration and, like, you have to hold your hand out and, like, really, like, be dramatic about it. But he is able to hold this blaster bolt in place, give the orders to bring Poe on, on the, onto the craft. He gets in, like, they execute everybody, and then he releases it. And it just kind of, like, strikes next to Finn as, like, a, a – it's almost like a comedy thing. You know, it's, it's, it's not scary. It's more comedic. Like he's so skilled, he could hold that bolt and still talk shit to them. <laughs> right, like all the bolts just sitting there, like it's crazy, dude, man. It's crazy. We're seeing a power that's never been used before, and he's so casual about it, which mm-hmm. I really like. So, next thing we see is a close up on Ray's face. So we we get to see we're introduced to this new character, and you know, I love the way Abrams does this exposition, where without telling the audience what's going on like okay she lives by herself she they she lives in the shadow of what had to be some massive battle because she's inside of a uh a a crash star destroyer like scavenging parts and then turning that in for food like not for money but for food um steven the uh 
that for all you Battlefront players, now Battlefront Two, the Battlefront that came out before Battlefront Two with all the EA before the EA problems. Um, if you got downloaded the DLC, you know what that battle was. Yeah, and they they do discuss it a little bit in um, thanks. I think aftermath, yeah. the novel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we see what she's doing, and we can see that she's been there for a long time, and. You know, she. We can see that she dreams of a, a, a different life because she puts on the the helmet, and you know, it looks very much like an X-wing fighter helmet. And the Orabesh letters on the side actually spell out Ray, which I think is kind of fun. And she's got like a little doll and everything, and she looks wistfully to the sky as the ship takes off. And then, very like George Lucas said over and over again, uh, the movies rhyme; they're like poetry. So again, we have this, you know, lone, you know, teenager for, you know, lack of a better term, because that's probably what she is at this point, you know, out of her element, wishing for bigger and better and greater things, you know, working with droids. It feels like she's in her element, though. Like, like, um, I just felt like she had just been living this life for a while, you know, just this scavenger, you know, lifestyle. And just comfortable with that environment, you know, as well. Well, it's not that she's, you know, not comfortable with it. I think it's more that, you know, it's like this is the hand I've been dealt, so I'm going to make the most of it. You know, like Luke, he didn't want to be a moisture yeah, farmer, yeah. but he was good at it. He was, you know, naturally skilled in other areas. And we see that she's skilled as a hand-to-hand combatant. But one of the things we see from her, and I noticed this more watching the second film, but you know watching it in this one as well she is very very easily prone to violence like with very little provocation like sure she gets attacked you know after we see finn help poe dameron escape from the the clutches of the empire after kylo ren pulls all the information that he needs from him and Mm -hmm. you know they they land and you know he's wearing Finn's, uh, he's wearing Poe's jacket, and BB-8 sees him, and he's like, "Oh my God, that's the jacket that belonged to the guy who owned me." And Ray's like, "Really? All right. Well, you know, there's no proof, and let's not let him, you know, you know, attempt to defend himself in any way, shape, or form. So let's go. Uh, let me go beat the shit out of him with my my stick here." And she just clubs the hell out of him. <laughs> you know, and he makes a good point. He's like, "Oh, great. You know, when the when the Empire land, well, the Empire." First Order lands, and they start, you know, blowing stuff up, trying to get this droid, which now has the map to Luke Skywalker in it. You know, she's she's caught up in this now. And he's like, well, they're shooting at both of us because you were with me. And she's like, oh, thanks a lot, asshole. And he's like, listen, I didn't chase you down and hit you with a stick. Like, you brought this upon yourself. <laughs> yeah, she, she's scrappy because um, there's even that part where she uh, first encounters BB-8, and she pretty much, um, you know... Um, bullies that other guy, you know, bullies BB-8 away from him, you know, the other scavenger. Yeah. <laughs> so so she's tough. <laughs> but she also realizes that whatever this droid is, it's clearly valuable because Unkar Plutt, played by the amazing Simon Pegg, offers her 64 portions, you know, so that'll feed her for over a month, I'm guessing, you know, because what she ate earlier was a quarter of a portion. Um which was interesting, the the food that she ate was very interesting, because you don't get to see much of the food and stuff in Star Wars. Um, yeah, nobody eats. <laughs> except in, uh, I would say, 
Um, well, you had Anakin hovering pairs around for Padme on Naboo, and then you had... Uh, you had the family dinner in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say uh, Luke Luke and uh, Yoda having a picnic on Dagobah, and then him mm-hmm. inviting him back to eat that disgusting soup. <laughs> so, I mean, you don't... Re- but you don't get to see what's in it. Like, you see Luke and, you know, his family drinking the blue milk and eating whatever the hell they were eating. But that brings us to uh, another interesting part where, you know, we get our first real callback to the original series as they're running to escape. She's like, oh, I'm a pilot. Don't worry. I'm really good at piloting things. He's like, you ever been to space? Nope, but I'm a really good pilot. It's like, well, I guess we have no choice. And if you watch really, really, really closely, which I didn't do the first time, and I'm sure 99% of people didn't either, you do see the Millennium Falcon there, but they're like, "Oh, that ship is garbage," and you know, they're trying to escape, and they're like, "We'll go to the, we'll get this other ship that's newer and nicer," which again is a running theme with the Falcon. Like, you know, everyone who sees it's like, "Oh my god, this thing's such a hunk of shit," but you know, in reality, we all know that it's an amazing, an amazing craft. So they're like, "Well, I guess you know, now that they blew up the ship we were going to use, we'll have to use this garbage ship." And then you turn and like, "There's the Falcon!" And like, again, you get chills because it's like, "That's the Falcon." But again, I think a lot of Star Wars stories, as much as I love them, and I'm sure you guys will agree, a lot of it boils down to uh, convenience, or as they would say in the movies, the will of the Force. Because there's just so much. It's like, oh, you just happen to find this droid that happens to have the map to Luke Skywalker. You happen to understand him. How many languages does Ray speak? Because well, she, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say. I mean, uh, if if you want to be more negative, it, it's contrivance, right? A lot, a lot of this is contrivance. I mean, even even the fact that Ray may be a Skywalker is kind of contrived as well. But again. You know, it's like you said, it, it, to be more positive, you could say that it's the force and, and it just draws all those folks together um, and whatnot. But you could also say positively as well, these are supposed to be serious uh, or, or flashbacks or, or uh, odds to the series of, of, you know, George Lucas's uh, young age. So, of course, they're going to have these, quote unquote, contrivances that's the point. Right, because, I mean, Episode 1, Episode 4, and Episode 7 are all very, very similar story structure-wise. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the, you know, loner on a desert planet who's destined for greater things. You know, it's like, oh, we can't train you because, you know, whatever reason. They do something heroic, blow something up, you know, or are instrumental in, in you know, bringing down the the First Order or the the Empire, you know, whatever happens to be going on, the droid armies, they're instrumental in in driving the plot forward. And then it's like, oh, well, you're clearly destined for greater things, and we're all going to help you because you're obviously the hero of this story. The issue is... um, I've always, like, attributed a lot of that to the Force. I mean, I I know this thing kind of falls in the sci-fi category, but for me, like, just over the years, it seems very more even um, fantasy influence, you know? So so I've been able to just put that, like, well, maybe it's a force, you know, bringing all these things together and making certain things unfold a certain way. It's almost like a domino from um, X-Force, you know, using her 
just her um, the luck. You know what I'm saying? Somehow things work out for. And I've always attributed that to the force in these films, you know, and that's kind of been my uh, tool to get around the contrivedness and just the convenience of certain things happening. It's like, hey, it's the force, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and they, they actually make a nod to that later on. It's like, we'll use the force. That's not how the force mm-hmm. works, which but, um, it's crazy is a crazy because I've got this playing in the background as we're doing this, but um, one of the things that stands out to the scene is just the fact uh, when they first take off in that Millennium Falcon, I wish that sequence lasted a little longer just seeing it, you know, tumbling and flying and dipping and diving through those um, canyons, you know, it, it's yeah. crazy. Her it's zooming thing. it through <laughs> the uh, the crashed Star Destroyer to kind of lose the the Tie Fighters behind mm-hmm. her. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think John Williams' score makes it a lot better because if you think about it, John Williams is really old. Um, as much as you don't like to think about it. Um, even though this is the last film he's going to score, Rise of Skywalker, um, from what I heard, um, yeah, just hearing the music with this, you know, and that sequence alone, it's just great. I mean, can you imagine any other composer doing that sequence alone? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to uh, to really compare him to anyone else because he's done so many iconic amazing things you know generally with Spielberg so I mean I mean what else you know who else would you want to score that go ahead Phil well 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 well, to be fair there's a lot of great great uh, movie composers out there oh yeah however Spielberg uh, let me rephrase uh, Williams uh, was lucky enough at that point to be picked by George Lucas to score it. And um, obviously it's become iconic. So at this point, I would say that, yeah, if anybody else does it, it'll be a little harder to swallow, I guess. But again, a lot of this came down to um, just a like a perfect storm where everything hit at the same time correctly from George writing, directing Lawrence Kasdan, writing um, the, the unknowns that he cast way back and then bringing in uh, Williams and all these young people that went on to become Academy Award winners and makeup and special effects and whatnot for other films that um, I, 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 I think Steve is, is correct. However, I just wanted to you know give a nod to, to say that there, there's a hell of a lot of other uh, composers that are really good. It's just that the perfect storm hit with the correct computer when the series began. Yeah, it would it would almost be like if you're trying to recast, you know, an iconic role with it. Like if you you know, so we couldn't yeah, get Harrison Ford back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, a guy like Ennio Morricone, like, had he been given the same thing? I mean, he's done some amazing iconic stuff himself, so. I, I, I totally get what you're saying. Well, yeah, because yeah, back who then, taught we Ray how to fly the Falcon, man? That's crazy right here. <laughs> I have a note Williams about that. Was <laughs> like when Williams uh, brought on, um, you know, uh, Goldsmith and Maurice Jarre and all these other guys were still uh, alive, and and they were they were incredible at that time too. And then and then Herman Bernard was was just wrapping up his career, so. Again, I think I think it just worked because the right person 
happened to be hired. And, you know, I mean, it's it, like you say, I keep on saying the perfect storm, you know, you know, the, that movie, the perfect storm in the book, just so many things came together at the right time that you get the biggest storm ever uh, in the New England area. And, and here mm-hmm. you go, all the correct people at the same time. And you, and you get this, this brilliant thing. And, and that includes uh, Williams. So uh, and I, I totally agree with you on that, Phil. Um, but to touch on what um, Corey was just asking, you know, who taught Ray how to pilot? Well, I mean, she's clearly adept at using small craft, you know, speeders, things like that. She has good reflexes. And the other thing I wrote is uh, in my in my my notes saying that she's a natural pilot. Plus, she's very familiar with the terrain and obstacles, having spent so many time, so much time, you know, in and around them. Like she used that to her advantage and obviously her heightened reflexes, which to her, you know, <laughs> she didn't think about it because it's yeah. just how she's always lived. But it's not her flying skills that I'm concerned with. It's her fighting skills. And we'll get into that a little later on. So now we get to right. see. I, I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. To be fair, to be fair, uh, to have her just know how to fly in space having never done it obviously is a little convenient but again you know i mean a lot of science fiction <laughs> fantasy i mean a a space opera so in space opera you're going to have these things because, you know like like we have pe- we have people going to planets without wearing oxygen masks so so you know these things are going to happen and and we're going to go with it because again it's a space opera. it's it's the suspension of disbelief you know you kind of yeah. Because but, but they also, don't. Also, we don't know really what the life was before. So maybe she had minor experience with this stuff, you know, before the scene happened. But well, she I says she's Plus, never been course. to space. <laughs> but again, yeah, they didn't exactly um, fly anywhere. They were just kind of like they escaped orbit, mm-hmm. and they were trying to figure out what they were going to do when they got picked up. So it's not like they were like, oh, well, let's head over to this planet, and like she just like guided them there. She was too busy trying to fix the uh, poisonous gas leak. So they didn't actually, all she did was pilot them away and then break the atmosphere. So, uh, but then we get to see how differently Kylo Ren works in the dark side than uh, like somebody like Vader post suit uh, acted (laughs) because he is really a, petulant child when it comes to hearing stuff he doesn't want to hear because the guy's like oh yeah you know the droid got away in in a ship and he's like the droid stole a ship and he's like well he had help from fn2187 who survived the crash and so ren just goes nuts and absolutely just destroys everything in the room with his lightsaber and he's just like yeah Anything else? Which is kind of funny. Like, he definitely inherited his mm-hmm. father's sense of humor. But when but when we see this... like he does that a lot, man. He does. <laughs> like, he's destroyed a lot of equipment. <laughs> and I think it's because he didn't quite get the right guidance. Like, when you, when you see how Palpatine was to Anakin, there's a lot of, you know, subtlety and nuance to how he uses and wields the dark side of the force with Kylo Ren. It's just like, Oh, I'm angry. Let me smash things. It's like, what are you a fucking toddler? Hello. That's a good point, Patrick, because like, um, 
I don't remember okay. Vader getting like yelling even in the most of these films. Like I think the only time that I can really think of offhand is when he first awakened after he got his new body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that's the only time I can remember him just like rah, like you know having that moment of just like. But yeah, that's crazy. That's interesting. Phil, what were you gonna say? Well, yeah, I was gonna say that. Let's uh, uh, an actor or, or a rock star that just goes berserk, uh, you know, it destroys a hotel room or something. So it, it's almost like, uh, if not childlike, it, it's, it's I guess, uh, entitled more, maybe. I, I don't know. It, but he's, def- he's definitely not as level-headed as um, Vader was, that's for sure. He, he's definitely more reactionary and unhinged. Yeah. Well, I mean, he also knows that there's no one around who could possibly, like, check him or no one's going to tell him no because of the power that he wields. You know, even in, you know, episode four, we see these guys, like, talking shit to Vader, you know, like, like they've got nothing to fear from. It's like, oh, your your devotion, your sad devotion to that ancient religion hasn't helped you conjure up the stolen data plans. And it's like, I will choke you from across the fucking room. <laughs> yeah, that is right. Well, and, and they wouldn't, wouldn't even do dare do anything to like Grand Moff Tarkin, right? So, so there was there was a hierarchy where Vader wasn't even second in command at, in the in the mm-hmm. New Hope film. While this guy, it seems like not only is he second in command, but his leader, he's not really feared. Fear he doesn't fear him much, as we find out in, in the next movie we're going to talk about, right? And he definitely uh, he he has no respect for for General Hux. You know, he has some respect for uh, for Snoke, but even then, like you know, Snoke smacks him around, you know, in a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we get introduced to Han and Chewbacca, which is so great. It's just it's one of my favorite scenes. And uh, then we get to see the whole Rathtar thing. And then you get to see... Now, Star Wars has always had a huge influence on popular culture. But this is one of the first times I can remember pop culture really having an influence on Star Wars. Where you have... Uh, um, lose, uh, Eco U.S. and um, the other dude from uh, The Raid, Redemption, show up as <clears throat> members of Kanja Club. Which is just so awesome. Because, like, obviously The Raid's an amazing movie, but having those two guys just show up. Like, I know, you know, you have Daniel Craig as a stormtrooper and everything. Like, all these guys that are big-name actors, you know, hidden under, you know, tons of prosthetics or or a mask. These guys are just out in the open. It's like, yeah, we got the guys from The Raid. How cool is that? (laughs) And uh, so... You notice that with a lot of the... Uh, crew even in this film you know just you know people that were kind of big in other shows or you know films and they're getting you know little small bit parts you know that's kind of cool man like greg grunberg and ken lung and um yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I mean uh gwendolyn christie and whatnot but I, I think it's it's because like you, you know you always hear like uh, actors will take smaller pay cuts to work with certain directors that you know they haven't worked with that are legends and uh, it's it's kind of like this for the, this movie in the sense that you're going to have a lot of folk who mm-hmm. are bigger names 
uh, even though the raid folks aren't, aren't big names by any means in, in our country. So obviously in Indonesia, they're, they're well known. Mm-hmm. So the the thing is, is that these folks are all going to want to be part of Star Wars because, you know, they grew up on it and it's exciting. For them. So they're willing to say, hey, could I be in your film? You know, you don't even have to pay me or you just give me, you know, a token, you know, some. And, and I think that's that's the reason why um, even more so than it winking to, to the audience. I think it's it's actors that just wanted to be filmed. But also, if, but you, just if you wanted someone to like just um, sweep the floor in Star Wars, I'd be like, "Hey, I'm your guy." Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Well, it's it's, it's like just, it's such a big franchise and such a big film in general. But not like, not like uh, not like uh, Quantum of Solace sweep the floor. No. <laughs> but it's yeah. but it's like um, you know think about the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Like no one knows who the Guardians of the Galaxy are. But you have Glenn Close and John C. Riley, who are both Academy Award nominees, if not winners, playing random roles. Pete Serafinowicz, again, playing like a tiny role. You know, he was obviously in episode one as the voice of Darth Maul. But, you know, it's like Marvel's huge. I want to be a part of it in any way. Like, I don't care, you know, uh, or Annette Benning in Captain Marvel. Like, you have these people playing small tiny roles that are nowhere remotely close to the the main actor and main character but they want to be part of this so this is the part where ray is telling uh uh oh the the one of the funniest lines of the movie sorry i'm getting a little ahead of myself um talking about the wrath tars and it's like well how'd you get them on board Used to have a bigger crew. Like, such a great line and totally a Han Solo thing to say. You're like, did they die or did they leave? But I'm thinking they died. Oh, yeah, they were definitely eaten, especially what we see later on. Um, I do, do got to say about um, Harrison Ford's character, Han Solo, in every movie he does, you know, he has that smirk and he has the finger point. Um, he does both of those in this oh yeah and i was trying to identify where and when he was going to do that and i loved that yeah it's his actor it, trademark my... yeah it's also crazy that they were on the ship through that whole like dog fight as well and <laughs> we're just sitting in the back you know like hey <laughs> i love i love the fact that you know we we see the the dichotomy of these characters where you can never really put them in peril because you know you need them for you know the the conclusion of the story but you know so in one scene you see the rathtar just eating and devouring its way through the entire crew except when it gets to finn when it gets to finn it's like well i'm going to drag you off somewhere everybody else gets killed and eaten right away not finn well that's the the plot, plot armor versus the red shirts right? All right but what i'm saying is like Moments later, we see Chewbacca shot in the arm and sustaining an actual injury, which has never happened in any of the films he's been in. So it's like, whoa. He was, he was booked as being invincible. Right. But, like, you know, I don't care, you know, if you're if you're Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, if you get shot in the face, you're going to die. It doesn't matter how big and right. strong you are. <laughs> so we get, we get to see Chewbacca actually not just hurt, but injured. Like, he's hurt in a in a major way to the point where he can't fight anymore. 
So it's like that's something new. Like we've never really seen that except, you know, maybe Luke getting his hand cut off. But even then he was able to, you know, get away. But we generally do not see any of our main characters get injured or incapacitated to the point where you're like, oh, shit, I'm worried about this guy. Because, again, I came into this. you got to remember, Luke got his hand chopped off, right? Right, well, that's what I'm saying. But he was still able to, you know, get away and and be okay with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. But with this, it's like they're under duress. Like, they're they're not safe yet. Um, And now Chewbacca's out of the fight. And now Han, who's got to do everything, you know, he's got to fire the gun. He's got to break through the... uh, whatever code they have to get in. Then he's got to pilot the Falcon and now he doesn't have his co-pilot. Now he's got this girl. So it's, it's a real uh, situation where it's like, Oh shit, this could have lasting effects. Of course it doesn't. And Chewie ends up with that nurse and the nurse definitely wants to, to, to bang Chewbacca. Like I am a hundred percent on board with that. Cause she's like, Ooh, you are so brave. Ooh, look at you. And it's like, Whatever works for you, lady. I like. I don't know how often Chewbacca gets laid in this universe, but probably not enough. I'm just saying. So, another great line because it's classic Han Solo. We really get to see a lot of you know what we remember Han Solo being like. Where he's like, "I'm going to make the jump to light speed inside the dock to get away," and Ray's like, "Is that even possible?" And he's like, "I never asked that until after I've done it." <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's definitely uh, full effect um, Han Solo mode, man. He, he's cool and calm under pressure. He's just, uh, you know, living by the skin of his teeth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even at, like, when there's not much skin left. <laughs> like, you know, the line with Kanji Club is like, have I ever not delivered? And they're like, yeah, twice. And he's like, what was the second time? <laughs> like, I know exactly what you're talking about for the first one. Well, what was the second time? But now we come to a very interesting part in the film, and I want to get you guys' thoughts on this. And, Phil, I'm going to start with you because you haven't gone first yet. We see the giant hologram of Snoke. So at this point, we don't know. Is that life-sized? Is he Yoda-sized? You know, how big is he really? Because he's got this huge, looming presence, very similar to how the Emperor was uh, because you just got to see his head uh, when he addressed uh, Vader. But we see him sitting in this huge throne, and he's just this massive, overwhelming presence. And he says, there has been an awakening. Ray hasn't done anything Force-related yet. Only Finn has. Finn has, over- Finn has overcome his Stormtrooper programming and completely rebelled against everything that was drilled into his brain for his entire life. So... Phil, let me get your thoughts on this first. Do you think that there is something that we're going to see as far as force sensitivity or doesn't have to be a Jedi, but some sort of something that makes Finn special? Oh, that's that's a good question. Uh, I I don't I don't know. I, I don't I don't think so. And and the reason I say that is, I felt that the dude was talking about Ray and not Finn. And the reason for that is because at that point Ray is the one with BBA and and whatnot. So my guess 
is that the force was, even if it's not awakened, it's still like in in you. You know, not that I believe in any um, psychic powers or anything like that. By any mm-hmm. means, I don't believe in it at all. But a lot of folks say that oh, everybody has it. It's just that you know it's old and, and everybody's forgotten how to use it and blah blah blah. But it's always there. And so I'm just thinking that the Star Wars force is similar to that. And so um, the new quote-unquote emperor basically felt that, I think. And, and I, don't, I don't think Finn, Finn is going to happen. Um, I, would, I would think that would be a stretch. But, hey, you never know. I mean, they've, they've, they've gone a lot of places that I haven't expected in this series. So. Okay. Corey, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know that I'm thinking about it. Maybe he's not um, indicating an individual event or an individual instance of the force being used, but maybe he's detecting that the force is exerting like an influence around everything. You know what I'm saying? Just boom, there's a striking activity. Not any particular person, but the force might be making a move, you know, and you know what I'm saying? And influencing these events that are happening, you know, amongst these people. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what he's kind of referring to. Okay. Steven, yeah, your thoughts. Oh, sorry. Go Corey, ahead, Phil. I, I, just, I think Corey explained it even better than I did. So, yeah, that, that's what I'm kind of believing to. Steven, your thoughts. What was the question again? Um, when Snoke is looking at, at Kylo Ren and says, there has been an awakening, but Ray oh. hasn't done anything yet. Only Finn has done anything remarkable. Do you think that Finn has something inherent in him or like uh cory and no. Fuller saying no um i think it was just a ruse um kind of like what we'll be talking about when we get to last jedi but um but i just think he he was kind of like throw just you know it was throwing it off like Okay, but then that's fair. I mean, I, it's a tough question for me. See, rewatching it, I was like, well, maybe, maybe there's something there, like you know, similar to Maz Kanata. He's he's not a Jedi, but has some sort of Force ability, or the Force is strong, like a Chirrut Mway from Rogue One. Um, just maybe yeah. there's something there, because again, Ray hasn't done anything at this point other than pilot to ship. She hasn't right. exhibited any powers. He is broken away from the the uh, indoctrination and literal brainwashing of the First Order. So, I mean, it, yeah. who knows? That actually makes sense, yeah. We might not see anything, but uh, there is a line that, that Snoke has that I think, as much as I gave J.J. a lot of credit for... Um, for... Uh, you know, not forcing exposition through, you know, just apparent dialogue uh, where he says, oh, it's, you know, the droid is aboard the Millennium Falcon with your father, Han Solo. It's like, well, yeah, like you didn't have to say your father, Han Solo, because there's only (laughs) three males on that ship. So it's either Solo, Chewbacca or Finn. And I don't if think it's Finn. <laughs> if they didn't mention that part and saved it for that at the end, they would have made it more 
impactful. Yeah, I agree. But I think he was trying to get that out of the way, you know, to kind of talk with Leia and like that's given give that reason for him and Leia uh, kind of separating. So I did like when uh, when Finn's trying to bandage Chewbacca up and BB-8 comes over to like, you know, lend his moral support and Chewie growls at him. It's very similar to uh, when Chewbacca growls at the uh, the mouse droid. Yes. In, the, in New Hope. Yeah. I just thought that was cool. Um, again, another, more credit to uh, to JJ for this shot. The Wolfman from the original Cantina scene. We follow him through the whole Cantina in one long, unbroken shot, which I love long, unbroken shots that show a ton of what's going on. Um, I just, I think it's great. Uh, it seems to me that everybody knows who Ray is. Like, everybody knows who Rey is, at least from the original trilogy. Like, Han, like, seems, like, really interested in her. The issue I I think we have with this character is she's so cut off from everything. Like, she's heard stories and legends and rumors uh, where she believes them to be myths or fantasies. Everyone else knows them to be facts. Like... Luke Skywalker, I thought he was a myth. Everyone else is just like Finn. When he's told the map is to Luke Skywalker, he's like, he's not like who or, oh, that guy's not real. You know, he's just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like knowing how important it is. It's almost as if people have forgotten in the past 20 years of like what the force is. You know, kind of like the end of episode three, the beginning of episode four, where people are like, Oh, the force. Ha, huh, that's not anything. It's like uh, it's it's a lot of those same beats. Um, I know that's one complaint about the film, but I didn't really mind it too much. But uh, one thing that's interesting that you said that um, you know, she's been isolated and cut off, but I feel like that's also an explanation of how she's reacting to things. You know, she's not swayed by any myth or legend or any preconceived notions. She's just acting naturally, and that's I think that's what leads to her. Oftentimes, like charging forward right into things, you know what I'm saying? She's mm-hmm. going with her heart, you know what I'm saying, and not so much, you know, having these legends or, or you know, this other information, you know, influencing, you know, what she's doing. I think that kind of makes her stand out a bit. Now, my question is: We've already seen one new force power earlier in the film. Uh, are any of you guys familiar with psychometry? <laughs> that yeah, is that. that is a power in which you can tell the history of an object simply by touching it. Mm-hmm. And I ask because oh, yeah. of yeah. what happens when Ray yeah, touches we, we, the lightsaber. I, I think we've all I think we've all I think we've all heard about it. We just didn't know the term. Yeah, okay. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> when Ray touch I guess there's there's precedent for this in the uh, now non-canon uh legends universe where there were uh, a couple of Jedi or a couple of characters who had this power. But this is something that we haven't seen as well. Like, J.J.'s given us something new. Like, first of all, the Saber calls to her. Like, she she has this connection to it for some reason, which we still don't know why. But See, I don't know if it's necessarily a connection because, like, um, 
it's almost like the individuality of the lightsabers. They don't seem like in this universe that they change hands often. It's almost like, you know, if you have a lightsaber, that's your lightsaber pretty much your life. You might mod it or whatever. So I think kind of, you know, the idea of that lightsaber having maybe the essence of someone somehow ingrained into it or that, you know, someone who's sensitive can detect someone's essence through that lightsaber. Like, like I feel like if you were to grab Obi-Wan's lightsaber and uh, Vader's lightsaber, you have this ability, you're going to feel way different things, you know? Right, but, that I mean, if you, have that, if you have that ability, you're going to feel that, you know, with whatever you do. But it only manifests mm-hmm. here with this saber. So why the saber calls to her, like, they even had Obi-Wan come in, uh, Ewan McGregor come in to record that line, these are your first steps. <laughs> like, there's got to be a reason for that, because we can hear her, hear him as an old man say Ray, which I thought was kind of interesting. All they did was they took the line where he tells uh, R2 not to be afraid, and they just cut out everything until it just said Ray. Um, but we see, you know, the, the, the battle on, uh, or the hallway from Bespin, like we see all this stuff happening. The only thing is that power would not necessarily explain the Luke R2 scene when Luke puts his robot hand on, uh, on R2, because I don't think the saber was there at that point, but, the more pressing question, and Han even asks, and we don't get an answer for it, where did she get the lightsaber? Because the last time we saw that, it was tumbling down a hole on uh, in Cloud City. So, well, the, the simple answer is... A wizard did it? A couple hundred thousand feet below Cloud City. That's probably where she got it, because gravity... <laughs> Right, but what's at the bottom of Cloud City? It's an inhospitable terrain. And how, who who knew that it was there? Like, that's the thing. Like Maybe it's uh, more scavengers like Ray, and someone eventually, it, I don't know, it had to come up some kind of way. Or maybe maybe these things have trackers on them. Maybe they have fobs attached. And... Maybe they were tracking Kyber. <laughs> oh, like, they, they probably, see, they, whatever they, they did, they it. scrapped Luke's hand because... Well, that's kind of the point I was trying to make with the lightsabers, and, and um, I feel like, you know, maybe there's a way that they can, you know, like I said, some kind of GPS or whatever, you know, maybe some force. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's crazy, but somehow it turned up. Well, in the, uh, in the expanded universe, you find out that um, I believe it's uh, – Thrawn, the Thrawn trilogy, where there is a clone of Luke that is made from his hand, and that clone has the lightsaber. And Mara Jade, who was compelled by the Emperor, even after death, to kill Luke Skywalker, ends up killing the clone, and Luke gives her that lightsaber. So I just I want to find out what happened with that, because that's one of the things that really bugged me. Like, that whole scene... Not bugged me in a bad way, but bugged me like, I need to know what happened here. Like, what's going on? So, we definitely get to see the uh, the third Re- the the first order is very much like a third Reich esque uh, organization because we see Hux doing a really good Hitler impression, and then everyone in the crowd with that one singular salute. 
Yeah, that's... Uh... Now, I found this out recently. The planet upon which Starkiller Base is uh, it was built, do you guys know what planet that is? Um, it's not Hoth. No, they mention it. It is part of Star Wars canon, but they, they don't mention the name of the planet. However, if you are familiar, and I found this out the other day, uh, it was kind of spoiled for me on uh, one of the upcoming video games. Uh, it is the planet Ilum, and Ilum is renowned for, that's where Jedi would go to get their lightsaber crystals, the blue and the green crystals. Because they grew naturally there, and apparently, what we learned from uh, uh, Rogue One is that kyber crystals can be used to create devastating weapons, like the Death Star laser. Yeah. And if you're building a new super weapon, and you need some, you need a source of kyber crystals. Where else would be better than the place where they literally grow? So that was just an interesting thing that, that I found sense. because they use and I they I don't know if they mention it and I don't know if you guys have any more information on this than than I do because maybe I missed it but does Star Killer base move around because if you're using a star to power your entire uh weapon once you use one around you, you like yeah. they would have to I mean just like you said um they they're going to once you you know, spin it all the power of the sun, and the sun dies. So I think it'll have to be able to move around. And you know what I'm saying? What's the point? It's just going to sit there. Well, right. if you saw the power of that weapon, it went. It just went a lot of distances, um, and the ships jumped into hyperspace to get to the. Um, whereas Episode Four, all the ships just hopscotched over. I don't. Th- I think it's just a planet, and it doesn't move. Well, that, then and it has the power to obliterate any planet it wants through, like a. It targets its planet and just shoots it. So that's but, my opinion. But then, once you use the one star that's around you, providing your planet light, how do you replenish the weapon and fire again? Like that's that's my question. Like they would have to move it somehow. Well, they have an unlimited supply of kyber through the in the planet. Maybe it's run. They maybe the core, the core is kyber. Right, but we see them draining. We don't see it the first time. The first time they just fire the weapon, so we don't know what they did the first time. So that could be where the kyber comes in. But the second time, they are clearly draining the energy from a sun. True. So maybe a sun can give you multiple shots, you know, per sun, you know, or something like that. But also, if it is a planet, it wouldn't be stationary, so it's probably in an orbit, some kind of way. So yeah, but you're generally orbiting a single star, unless you're in a binary star system like Octo or Tatooine. Mm -hmm. But even then, the Death Star could move, right? The Death Star could move, but that was, you know, a a construct that was fully, that was fully (laughs) man-made, for lack of a better term. You know, yeah. that wasn't something that they put into a planet. So I think it I don't know, Phil, what do you what do you think? Weigh in on this. 
I have to say that you know they 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 have yeah they have to they have to move it. I, I mean, I I I don't know. I mean that's that's a question that uh, is hard to answer. I, I I'm I'm kind of where Steve was where. He says maybe 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 there's an unlimited. So I I don't know. I just don't know. I can't answer it. Yeah. I don't. Know. I think any naturally occurring resource would be finite in uh, in its uh, in its production because it's not like say it was powered by you know we we developed a super weapon to shoot at you know Neptune and we powered it with coal. You know, eventually we would run out of coal. You know, it's the same thing with the with the Kyber. But oh, maybe it's synthetic. Oh, there you go. Because they do make synthetic kyber crystals. That's how the uh, the Sith make their red crystals. It's generally a, a synthetic crystal. So we see. Yeah, well, it's one of those things I've never really thought about. But now that I am, it's like <laughs> you know, I'm going down a rabbit hole of you know the possibilities of uh, their technology. So now we've seen the power of Star Killer Base, where it just obliterates an entire system. The uh, Hosnian system, and uh, let me see. I have notes about the Hosnian system. There are there are several planets. It is uh, Cardota, Cortsilis, Hosnian, Hosnian Prime, and Ratio. And this event, where everything was destroyed, was called the Hosnian Cataclysm. But now we get to see some of the other characters uh, really showcase their skills because while they're on Maz Kanata's castle. Or her planet of uh, Takodana. I, I for a second I couldn't think of it. They're on Takodana, and the First Order shows up, trying to get the BB-8 unit. And we see Finn like we can't fight them. We have to leave. So he tries to get away. Ray tries to get away because she's all confused about what's going on with the Force, and she's sad and crying and. Then they show up. There's a huge battle scene, and we see Ray, you know, being fired at by a stormtrooper. She fires back, realizes she has to tar- take the safety off her gun, shoots, kills someone. Looks absolutely horrified, like, "Oh my god, I've taken a life! I've killed someone!" And then proceeds to really, yeah, doesn't doesn't, yeah. She's like, "Oh no, I've killed." Well, here I go killing again, and just starts wrecking everyone now. We see Finn get the shit kicked out of him by, uh, I believe his name is FN2199. Finn's got a lightsaber, and this dude just has a, a, a club and just smokes yeah, Finn. Like, kind of that weird kind of handled club, like almost like a billy club with like a weighted end, and like, yeah, that thing was crazy. Yeah, it's like a taser almost on the on the one end, because mm-hmm. whatever it is, it's able to block a lightsaber. So that, yeah, yeah. to me, is interesting that a a First Order... I mean, it has to be coincidental because why would a First Order uh, stormtrooper have a weapon that would be good in hand-to-hand combat against uh, a lot? That's usually something that's very, very specific that we see in, in you know, other films like uh, General Grievous's guards. So does anybody know what the definition of an ace pilot is just off the top of your heads? Mm, I don't know. Is it about a certain number of kills? Maybe? It is. It, an ace pilot... Uh, is one who shoots down five or more uh, enemy planes during a war or their career. So if you're able to take down five during, like, you know, you're in World War II and you take down five 
other uh, enemy fighters. You are considered an ace pilot. Poe takes down nine TIE fighters plus several ground troops in 14 seconds. <laughs> Just to show you how good he really is. Poe may be the best pilot that we have seen in the entire saga. Like, I would put him up against anybody. Like, Anakin and Luke included. Because the shit yeah. he does with an X-Wing is like poetry. No no pun intended there. But... <laughs> and then uh, I'm pretty sure the C and C-3PO stands for cock block. Because when we see uh, we see Kylo steal Ray away, you know, again using the force freeze technique or force hold, and then like knocks her out with a, a wave of his hand. They're like, "Well, we don't need this droid now. I'll just get whatever I need from her the same way I got it from Poe Dameron." And you know, the the first uh, obviously Poe and the other uh, Resistance fighters are there. You know, they chase off the First Order, who decide, you know what, we're going to get overwhelmed. Kylo's like, begin the retreat. We have what we need. Let's go. And, you know, we see C-3PO, who, in the prequel trilogy, which is really the last time we saw him, he sucked so much. He was just the absolute <laughs> worst. And now we see him, it's like, oh, you probably didn't recognize me because of my red arm. Like, <laughs> now he's funny. Like, that's there's some good stuff from him. Um, I have a couple other notes, and I, I don't know what you guys think about this, but I really think there's something going on between Poe and Finn. I, I think that there's, I don't know what I don't you guys know, think. I don't even know how you classify that, because this is the moment where they see each other on here, it's, it's amazing. Like, I watched it the other day, and I'm like, yo, this is like one of the most, this, this is a beautiful moment in this series, but mm -hmm. I can't explain it, man. It's, <laughs> it's insane. Like, I don't know, man. What do you think about it, Patrick? What do you think is going on here? I, I think that there's uh, a mutual respect and admiration. And if, like, you know, there was, you know, they were they were hanging out, like, oh, yeah, let's just, you know, hang out and we can we can watch a movie and, and you know, have some popcorn and some Chardonnay. And if our hands accidentally touch while we're both reaching for the popcorn at the same time, you know, let's just see what happens. Like, well, see, even if you don't want to go there, like trying to explain it another way, it just doesn't add up. Like usually, maybe that type of admiration and respect and infatuation, but they don't know each other except for you know they have a, they have a brief history, you know, um, escaping the ship. You know what I'm saying? So it's like plus the look that he gives him when he's like, "That jacket looks better on you, anyways." <laughs> like, and he bites his lower lip, looking at Finn. I think there's something there, and you know, honestly, I wouldn't have, I would not. What's that? A bromance. I think it's deeper than that. I think it's just a regular romance. Yeah, the elbow touch. I would uh, honestly, that would be awesome. I would love for Disney to take that route. They but, probably won't. Think, uh, no, they I, probably I, won't. I did see a. Um, I saw an interview recently, and um, um, uh, what's the poor actor man? Oscar Isaac. Yeah, yeah, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, yeah. He said that uh, he's kind of disappointed that they didn't pursue that, you know, in, in this film. So I don't know if that's going to lead to, you know, if he's, um, you know, spoiling what's going to happen in the, the next film. But oh, the next trilogy could be those two guys. <laughs> it's wild, man. But, but it's crazy, man. But it's also, 
I mean, it's still kind of fun, man. Like that moment, watching it, you know, yesterday, and it was just, it just blew me away. Like, how just crazy of a moment it is, and and it feels just good when they link up and you see them. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I think they're going to be all right out here. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a kind of a throwaway line when Leia and Han are talking to each other about their son, and I didn't really notice it the first couple of times I watched this movie, but you know, rewatching it again, it kind of kind of hit me that like. I never really hear anybody talk about it. And she's like, oh, it wasn't Luke's fault or it wasn't your fault that he went. And like, it was Snoke, you know, and they're like, yeah, you know. And then no one ever mentioned Snoke ever again on the on the Resistance. But um, also, I think she says at that moment, she feels like she took him too soon to, to you know, to, to the mentors, you know. Mm-hmm. So. But, like, they mentioned Snoke by name. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah. they know who he is, and he's a dark side influencer. Like, how do you know him? Where do you know him from? Why do you never talk about it again? You know, no one mentioned Snoke. They talk about the First Order. They talk about Hux. They talk about Kylo Ren. Nobody, nobody talks about uh, Snoke the rest of this whole film, which I thought was really odd. Now... One of the things that I thought was very interesting, I really liked the design of Kylo Ren's mask. And the first time we see him remove that mask is in front of Rey. Now, obviously we knew who the actor was that was playing Kylo Ren. We knew it was Adam Driver. We know what he looks like. Mm -hmm. Did you expect him to have some sort of disfigurement or some sort of like some sort of distinguishing feature when he took that mask off that would require him to wear the mask all the time. Corey, I'll start with you. I didn't think so. I like um I don't it's crazy because the only thing I really got the basis of is maybe um um Vader, you know, and I, I feel like um even um uh, what's the guy's name, man? Uh but, but even with Vader, you know, like I feel like he would have wore that mask even if he wasn't, you know, how he looked, you know, and was you know what I'm saying? Cause um yeah, yeah, I didn't expect anything, really, to be honest, <laughs> you know, other than a person, you know, if he had um, disfigurement and scars or whatever, that just would have been a bonus, you know, fill out the personality, but. Phil, how about you? What did you think was going to be under that mask the first time you saw it? Well, uh, my, to be honest, uh, I went in blind for this film, so I didn't I didn't watch any trailers or read anything about it, except that the Rotten Tomatoes. And so... I, when I went in, I, I didn't know who was playing the character, and I oh, okay. had never seen Adam Driver in my entire life until this film. So I I didn't know, and, and when they did take the mask off, I, I guess I wasn't as surprised that it was a disfigurement or anything like that, because we saw Finn take off his, and and you know that was kind of, I think, my first time really seeing a true... I mean, I may have. I mean, I may have seen stormtroopers in prior films and past, and maybe taking off their helmet. But but this was the first time I had really seen it with a star trooper, and Finn was you know looked normal. So I, I don't think I, I was expecting any scar or distinguished feature or anything. To be honest, Stephen, I'm going to say the same as Patrick. Um, really honest, it was. Uh, I wasn't expecting much. I did see the trailers um, multiple times, but um, yeah, 
I, I wasn't expecting any disfigurement of any kind. Um, I wasn't, when they, Finn took off his mask, I, I, I knew, obviously in the trailer we knew what it was going to look like. Um, so I wasn't expecting anything. See, I think for me, like, it's just, it's such an interesting scene because he has that mask and it's clearly for intimidation purposes, you know, mm-hmm. aside from the the crackling, unstable lightsaber beam, aside from, you know, his mastery of the force, you know, he's got this, you know, further thing and he takes it off and it's just like a normal looking dude, you know, not a bad looking guy, he just takes off his, his mask and he's like, hey, I'm a normal dude. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like him and even Vader's mask, to a certain extent, they come off as more like a samurai-style mask. You know, there's that mm-hmm. intimidation, but you also get, you know, maybe some neck protection, you know, like just, you know, from swords and shit being swung at you. So, yeah, I didn't expect, you know, like you said, of uh, the disfigurement, you know, just like, yo, this is our uniform. This is our battle, you know, battle stuff, battle gear. See, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have all... Uh been surprised as well to see something like you know like Plo Koon with the you know the the re- respirator over his face or you know something you know some sort of like maybe cybernetic enhancement I wouldn't have been surprised by that now Corey uh you have a unique insight into this because um you know you've been a Star Wars fan for a while you like the star what was your thought uh the first time you saw either in the trailer or in the film when a stormtrooper takes his helmet off and he's a black guy, like, what did you think about that? Oh, that was interesting. I mean, because for one, you don't really see stormtrooper faces in the series. I mean, you see stormtroopers everywhere, but not even just taking a break and having our mask off. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. even in those auto moments when you got, yeah. when you got, yeah, you know, I, I, having, oh, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you, Corey, that I, I, oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like even when they're just like not really on duty, they might be taking a break. They still got their mask on, you know. So, so and well, the other thing too, I guess the Clone Wars thing kind of factors into it. Um, you know, with the order of all of these clones, so a lot of people are expecting them to all you know look alike and not expecting you know maybe a guy like Finn being the face of one. But um, that was cool. And that trailer, you know, not without out of context, not knowing you know what his character was about, you know, seeing that was you know immediately um. It was interesting, but also there's a point, too, that um, is made. I'm not sure if they made it in this film where they say, you know, some of these people, some of the stormtroopers are actually maybe people that were taken in as kids, mm-hmm. you know, or, or prisoners during the Empire's conquest. And, you know, that could explain it, too. So I'm all in for it, man. That was cool, man. It was interesting. Well, I just meant because up until this point, I mean, we've seen like two black characters. You know, Mace Windu and, yeah, yeah. and Lando. I just meant for you, you know, because you are black, you know, the rest of us are white. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. we're yeah. used to the yeah, heroes man, being you know, white. It, it, made me, it made me immediately more curious. But also um, the point that I was making earlier when you, I mean, not only did they get a bunch of, um, you know, actors that we've seen in things playing uh, minor roles. But if you look at these crew and, um, you know, the people in these positions in this film, man, there's a very diverse um, segment of the population, you know, represented, and um, you know, and I think they made an effort to make that happen, you know, for this film, and it stands out. I appreciate it, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's basically. I just wanted your your <clears throat> thoughts on that because that's again not something that we get to see often. Um, so here's here's a thought that I had watching this, and this was I I had this thought the first time I saw it. Kylo Ren's real name is Ben Solo. 
why what? would <laughs> like if that was Luke's kid and in in the uh expanded universe or legends whatever it's called now that's non-canon he has a son mm-hmm. named Ben yeah which makes sense because Obi-Wan or Ben Kenobi was you know the guy who was sent to protect him and watch over him and even in his death continued to watch over him mm-hmm. so it makes sense for his kid to be named Ben why would Han and Leia's kid be named Ben. The only thing I can think of. That that makes sense to me too because Obi Wan, you know, like and you know, and it's you know, that they had a relationship, even though it was a little contentious at times, but I feel like, you know, Obi made a con you know, impact on Han Solo's life and I could see that definitely happen, you know, or yeah. even coming from uh, uh, also things, you also you are forgetting uh Leah knew Ben during the, the battle of the Death Star in New Hope. Yeah. They all did. They all did. So, so she knew that he was the one that brought them all together. So mm-hmm. it, it could be yeah. not him. So she <laughs> was. Yeah, because the only the only thing I can I could think of for you know where Leia because Leia doesn't really meet him like she sees him get killed, and even then I don't yeah. know if she sees it, but she does send the message specifically to him. You know, like you served my father in the Clone Wars, that whole that's thing. Right. Oh, okay. So maybe okay. that's it. But like, it doesn't make sense yeah, that his yeah. name would be Ben. Yeah. Like, even in the in the yeah. um, again with the uh, the ki- Leia and Han have three kids. They have Jason and Jaina, who are twins. Then they have a third kid named Anakin, and Anakin has a very difficult time because anytime someone hears that name, they only think of his grandfather. So there's mm. like. There's a lot of uh, of contentiousness between them and their family, and for a while, Han like just hates him because uh, they were doing a rescue mission on some planet, and uh, Anakin was flying the the Falcon, <laughs> and was like, "We have to take off now," and he's like. You can't. Chewie's still down there, and he left Chewie to die as these two planets collided. And so, well, I, I think, I, I think uh, Pat, you, you answered your own question. Uh, Leah, at the very beginning of New Hope, sending the message to a good friend of her father. You know, and and I think maybe that's 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 probably the answer right there. I think you're right. So now we're 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 getting towards the end of this. We're getting towards. Uh, you know, the final confrontation on because they have to stop the base. You know, again, it rhymes with the first one. You have to blow up the giant super weapon. And we see some inconsistencies with uh, Kylo Ren's power levels, but I think it's because he is as arrogant as he is and, you know, as headstrong and he's never really been challenged uh, up to this point. So, we of course have to discuss the probably most devastating uh part of this entire film. So Ray escapes without uh giving in to Kylo and in fact turns Hold the up. tables on him. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Oh we're that's what we're doing. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> and that, that you know amazing. he comes in and you know, he tells Snoke about this, like, hey, like something's going on and Snoke's like, Bring her to me. So we get to see 
her without any real training, which is again a theme of these opening films in each trilogy, she's exhibiting powers that we haven't seen before. So as as cool as Poe Dameron is, he gives up everything the, that the uh, the rebellion's doing. But she is somehow able to turn this on him and like start talking shit to him, like you're afraid that you'll never be as powerful as Darth Vader, and he's like. You bitch. And uh, I want to know what you guys thought. I'll start with you, Stephen. What was, when you saw that, when you saw her resist him, what was, uh, what was your reaction? Well, that, I, I it was kind of like, you know, that gif of uh, the, you know, that, oh, you know, all those, all those people shaking their head and all that. I thought that yeah, was, yeah. that was, that was me. Um, but also it was pretty intimidating. You know, you haven't seen, you haven't seen that force, that, that will of the minds before. And, uh, I don't believe in any of the star Wars movies beforehand. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, it, it's something that I really enjoyed. Um, it was, Yeah. Phil, what about you? What did you think of that scene? Um, well, as, as as we know, even though Han Solo is probably the most popular character uh, when I was a kid, uh, the original Obi-Wan Kenobi and Grand Moff Tarkin were, were, were my favorite characters because I used to see those actors in older films and stuff. But the thing is, is that every film in the series has a person that has the force in them and and so in other words you know luke skywalker was the real quote-unquote star even if harrison ford's character uh outdid him and the thing is is that i just assumed that ray was going to be that character because the whole film was she was the lead so finn and poe and all these other folks you know they're they're important characters but this film was not there so it, it didn't surprise me that there's some hidden force that was going to be in there or anyway, and that she would not be succumb to the, the evil. Because generally, uh, when Luke was being turned to evil in the first trilogy, it was only with the, the Emperor and Vader were saying, you know, I'm your father and all that other stuff. And and then what happened is, is you know he he was eventually to fight it. Here there was there was really none of that. Yeah, so I I didn't I didn't think uh, she would succumb. Nor did I not think she was not going to be someone that would have a force, because again all the leads in this there the, are characters that will become powerful in the force. And uh, Corey, okay, I can't about going into a, like a round win. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Um... I don't know. This scene was amazing to me, man. Like, um, I, like, like I said, I rewatched this yesterday, and um, I think this is probably some of the best acting in this film, man. Them two squaring off, and he's trying to pick her brain, and and it's crazy because you know, starts off it looked like she's gonna cave in, and all of a sudden she starts pulling stuff out of his own brain, and it's like, whoa! Then Kylo was even shook. He even said, "You're scared," and he has to admit that, and he even kind of backs away, and like. And even when he goes to Snoke, he's like, yo, she's powerful, but she's not trained. Like, 
she's more powerful than she knows mm-hmm. and she's not trained and um that's one of the things that I see when people, you know, talk about, you know, or the people that don't like this film, you know, they complain about Ray's um uh, uh, where her skill level is at and I think it's dope. You know, we got a character who we can't measure yet. We haven't seen anything like this yet in this universe. And also the fact that she hasn't been trained. That's even more amazing to me. Like it's like like this is how powerful this person is. It's, it's crazy, man. This is a this is a really um, amazing moment, man. And also having Snoke scream on Kylo and Kylo is still trying to you know, I can do better. I can even it's almost like he's seeking approval, you know, not only, you know, trying to live in um, you know, um the shadow of his um, you know, mentors, but even the Snoke is like I can you know, like he's seeking that approval constantly, man, and it's it's crazy, man. This thing, this scene just brings it all to a head. You know, we kind of get um, as much insight on Kylo as we do as we get on, you know, Ray's ability. Man, I agree. <clears throat> so we, uh, you know, he clearly has daddy issues, and he's seeking approval from whoever will just tell him what he wants to hear. Now. This, you know, Ray escapes. She does the, the the Jedi mind trick, which I don't think she's ever heard of, but probably was able to pull that information out of <laughs> Kylo's mind because I'm sure he's used yeah, it before. Yeah. And yeah. that's obviously the uh, for those who don't know that stormtrooper was Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. Um, so she's able, and, and that that part's kind of funny. It's like you will undo these restraints and leave the room. And you will drop your blaster. And I will drop my blaster. And he just, like, walks out, which is unintentionally comedic, but, like, it came off very funny, like, in a very tense, which I think uh, Star Wars comedy tends to be. So now we get to see, you know, they're they're getting everything set up. You know, they throw Phasma down the garbage chute after they make her lower the shields, which, again, you know, it's... Kind of a waste of a really cool-looking character, and a lot of people were comparing her to Boba Fett in that sense, where you don't get to see her do much, and then she's just unceremoniously dumped. Um, so well, they... a, clone, a chrome-plated stormtrooper. I mean, come on, it's better than a, it's better than a white stormtrooper. Well, yeah, her uh, her armor was made from a Naboo starfighter. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, bad. I'm more maybe, maybe there's a possibility we'll get to see her in maybe another series or something. I hope I so. Know. So they're setting up charges everywhere so they can like blow a hole in the in the reactor. And during this whole thing, Kylo's there because he's still trying to track down Ray, and we see Han. Call out to him using his name for the first time, Ben. And he tells him, take your mask off. He's like, what do you think you're going to see? And he's like, my son. He's like, no, your son was weak, so I killed him. You know, again, hearkening back to, you know, the Jedi named, you know, uh, uh, Darth Vader killed your father. You know, that type of thing. And you almost, you know, because there's, between this movie and the next movie, there's a lot of, you know, you know, not just Kylo Ren commenting on it, but other characters commenting on the conflict within him, the light and the dark side, you know, constantly battling each other. And there's a lot of different speculation on this specific scene. So I want to talk about this a little bit because this was one of the most devastating and heartbreaking scenes uh, of this film where, you know, he 
he's talking to his father and he's very, very emotional. And he's like, just come with me, come with us. We're like, we'll get you away from here. You know, what, you know, whatever, you know, your mother misses you. I miss you. Like, and Kylo says to him, he goes, I know what I have to do, but I don't have, I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Will you help me? And Han's like anything. So he was handing him the lightsaber and obviously he, the lightsaber ignites, kills Han. Chewie's howl at that point is probably the most heartbreaking thing about that scene. And right before he tumbles down into the shaft, which is another uh, Star Wars trope, along with the Wilhelm scream and limbs getting cut off, people getting tossed down shafts happens like so many times. He touches Ben's face gently and lovingly before falling off the bridge. Now, after the initial shock and, you know, once your, your, your tears dried because you were so sad and upset to see Han go out like that, and you thought about the scene, do you think that what uh, Kylo was talking about was, I need to kill you in order to uh, convince Snoke that I am a dark side user, but there's still light in me, but I have to, in order to know who I really am. I have to, I have to do this. And Han's like, you know what? I'll turn the lightsaber on myself so that you don't have to, but it'll still seem like you did it. So Corey, I'll start with you this time. Mm, I never even thought about it like that. I thought that whole scene was all kind of, you know, initially. Yeah. I thought thought the same. I thought it was all, but I feel like, um, Maybe it's kind of, um, you know, just dealing with more Kylo's psyche. It, like, this is probably an element of himself, you know, his father and, um, you know, what his father stands for. He has to destroy that. He has to do that to get further in his, um, you know, Dark Order career. I mean, shit, you know, like, it, you know, it makes sense, man. I don't, I don't know. Like, like that's, that's what it feels like to me, man. He's, he's um, you know, burying and burying this connection to them as well, you know, because, you know, through his father, you know, by default, he's kind of connected to the, you know, the rebels and the resistance, you know, so maybe he's, you know, just severing that and maybe that's what, you know, symbolize him cutting that off, you know. Steven? Um, well, I agree with Corey. So, I just, I, I really wanted to give my reaction to the whole scene, but I'm sure that's the next question. So yeah, no, uh, go, anyway, go ahead, go ahead. Um, yeah, give your reaction. No, to no, no, no. I, I, I want to reply with my okay. answer for this first. Um, the fact that I don't think Han did that too. It, it was Kylo that activated the lightsaber, so. All right, uh, Phil. What about you? What's uh, what's your thought on that? Uh, I think uh, Ben Solo was just a sociopath. I mean, he he was gone. He, he was mm-hmm. completely dark side, yeah. and there was no real struggle, at least in his eyes, in my opinion. And um, I don't think he was trying to impress um, the quote unquote new emperor. I think he was just like, you know. He was listening to his father's, all right, whatever, whatever. And then, you know, he thought about it and he said, you know what? I don't have feelings. I'm a sociopath and kill him. I, I, don't, I didn't see anything where 
any and in other words, I don't believe in your theory. I, I'm I'm with more with Steve and, and, and such. So No, and that's and that's fine. I mean I'm of the opinion that um you know, Ben will eventually be redeemed and you know, much like Vader, uh you know, even after all the terrible things he does, he will do something that will, you know, bring about the defeat of the dark side. You know, I could see where, you know, he if he was just a sociopath, he would have just immediately, like, killed his father and, like, not cared about what he had to say. Again, this is just my opinion. You know, it, I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong. You know, and I think maybe that, you know, after watching it a couple of times and seeing the reactions that they had, you know, this was Han's way of kind of, like, I know I've been a shitty father to you and it's my fault that you went off to Luke and... You know, I didn't. I should have put up more of a fight, and I should have tried to be more of a dad to you instead of just, you know, letting you blindly, you know, uh, follow yeah, the Jedi he, he way. Was, he was like in the seventies, still doing smuggling runs. Right. <laughs> right. Well, they're saying like he was never really a father, and that's part of what turned Ben towards Snoke and like looking for Snoke's approval because Han was never there, and I think like. He thought that Ben was going to kill him, but if he did it himself, then he would have saved that last shred of what was in his son's soul. That's my that's my interpretation. You know, we we might find out that we're completely wrong, and he ends up like you know chopping Ray in half, and like then eating her liver with a side of fava beans and Chianti in the next movie. Who knows? Uh, oh no, I, I I I agree. I mean. Put it, put it this way, and, and again, this sounds negative, but these films are formulatic, formulatic. So, so obviously, he's going to do probably become a good guy at the end, and, and then die. You know, even even though, you know, in other words, he's going to have the same type of fate as, as a Vader, probably. But I don't think this murder was anything more than. Um, him being part of the dark side and already choosing his side. It, it also could have been, like you said, yeah, that he says his rage against his father for being "quote unquote" a bad father. He decided to kill him as well. So, mm-hmm. so it, I, I honestly believe that it was he wanted to do it and he did it, and and, and Solo was just a uh, um, wasn't expecting it. Mm-hmm. So. Now I want to get into the reaction that you had to that scene. Um, Phil, I'm going to start with you because I think you've got more, um, you know, uh, time with the franchise than uh, either Steven or Corey or myself. So I'll start with you. Like when you saw, you know, this character and, you know, obviously we've seen Harrison Ford in so many things, you know, so many iconic things, you know, you know, uh, Indiana Jones and and obviously as Han Solo. What was your reaction when you saw this happen? Right. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm the, I'm the oldest here, probably. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I actually was pissed. I, I walked out of this film pissed. I bleeping hated this film. Walked out because uh, of this this death. Um, so that I didn't feel sad, sad at all. I, I, I felt cheated and upset. And that, that's how I felt. Uh, now, you know, five years later, whatever it is, it's like, who cares? Um, but at the time, yeah, I, I was furious. So. 
Corey, how about you? Because you said you had this uh, spoiled a little bit for you. Yeah, it was spoiled for me, but um, but you know, even seeing it in the theater, it felt a little cheap. You know what I'm saying? Like I think right. you probably could have got more out of it if you just separated them two at this point. Because Han Solo, he's going to be hurting because he, you know, he could never connect with Kylo. Kylo's still going to be resentful. I feel like that would have been more richer and more ultimately fulfilling than just, you know, you know, killing Solo like this. Like I would have felt better if he was like maybe fucking like uh, ram the Millennium Falcon into a destroyer or some shit to, you know, to say. But this just didn't. I don't know. It felt a little. That's a little cheap, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you're guaranteed to get, um, you know, first of all, killing all solo is a big deal. But then to make his son be the one to do it, it, it just, I don't know. It, yeah, it just didn't yeah, happen a little bit, we, man. Just to go with, with Corey, to add to Corey, I also felt that the the son aspect was, I mean, obviously, we, you know, it was built into the film and whatnot, but I mean, the film's only two, two hours and 20 minutes or whatever. So it's not like we had this long uh, relationship between Han and his lost son. Like you know, we learned the first trilogy that Luke, you're my, you know, he's my father. And then we have two years to think about it. And then, you know, we get the third, all this other stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I felt they were trying to make it emotional and whatever. And I, if, if the only, if, for me, the only emotion I got out of it was pissed, being pissed. But. Steven, how about you? Well, um, I knew the writing was on the wall when they revealed Harrison Ford in the trailer. Because I remember seeing an interview a long time ago. Not in a galaxy far, far away. It was, uh, I remember hearing and hearing and hearing, because obviously my family grew up with Star Wars and all that stuff, so we would always talk about, you know, if they ever did another one, would they bring Harrison Ford back? And I remember our family would always talk about, you know, that interview Harrison Ford did, well, they'd have to, you know, he's saying, well, if they brought me back, they'd have to kill me. So that always stuck in my head. Um, so when they showed, when the trailer for Force Awakens came out, I knew the writing was on the wall. I just wasn't, it didn't come to my mind at the time. Um, it was in the back of my mind. I had a feeling they were going to do it, but it just didn't like project right when it came. My initial reaction when I saw it, um, a one-letter word came out of my mouth so loud, along with every like thirty other people in the theater, <laughs> and yeah, oh, um, yeah. So that was my initial reaction, dropping an f bomb along with thirty other people so loud that hopefully J.J. Abrams heard. And <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I had a similar reaction to you. Um... You know, again, I was fully anticipating because I'd, I'd heard the same the same interview you had heard. Like, you know, they weren't even sure they were going to bring him back for uh, Return of the Jedi because he wasn't sure. He's was like, oh, as far as I knew, they killed him off. Like, you know, I wasn't coming back. And, you know, for them to bring him back in this one, it's like, OK, that makes sense. But still watching it and like you kind of had this feeling like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Is he going to die right now? Oh, my God. And he did. And like the manner in which it happened. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I was, that was like I a was dick upset. punch. I mean, they could have done it in a better way, but that's just my opinion. I'm sure you guys agree with me, but I mean, you think they could have killed them off better? I, I, I yeah. think, yeah, I think all four of us are yeah. on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe, I think we were all like disappointed. You know, I may have been pissed, but a lot of you know, and you and you know, Patrick, you may have been disappointed. I think we all agreed it was the whole thing was unfortunate. Yeah. yeah, like um, I mean, despite being spoiled, when I, you know, you know, the guy spoiled his death for me, my first thing was just like, what? Like, you know, like that's how he's like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I was, I was, I was kind of pissed off because the guy spoiled, but then simultaneously, I was like, that, like that, like, <laughs> like, come on, man, yeah. I think he deserved yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. F-, F this movie is how I felt. <laughs> So now we get to see the, the, the real final confrontation. So you've got the uh, the X-Wings and everybody's zipping around. you got Greg Gunberg, Grunberg as uh, Snap Wexley. And the reason he's in it is because he's J.J. Abrams' lucky charm. He's in everything that J.J. does. You know, he was in Lost at in one episode. He played a pilot. You know, he's just in whatever J.J. does. You know, he's got two things that he brings with him. He mentions his grandfather, Calvin. And Greg Grunberg is going to be somewhere in the film. So I want to say that we saw earlier in the film Chewbacca's bowcaster absolutely blowing guys away, like launching them dozens of feet in the air, like causing mass destruction. The first thing Chewbacca does is he howls and then shoots Kylo, hits him right in the side. And all it does is drop him to his knees. So all the people that, you know, during this this fight, like, oh, he got his ass kicked by Ray, and Ray's, you know, not trained, and oh, he went out like a bitch, and this and it's like dude took a like taking a tank shot or a cannonball shot and like kept fighting. So yeah, let's you know let's what's not about that. Like after Kylo gets hit, Chewbacca hits like five guys and makes them backflip. Yeah. In the air, like immediately. Like he's that that that's a powerful weapon. It's crazy, man. I love his um <laughs> it's like, his weapon. It's like wounding a puppy before feeding it to a pit bull. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> meaning like wounding Kylo Ren before feeding it to Ray. Pretty much. That's what I was referring to. So this is the second time we get to see blood in this in this movie. Mm-hmm. So now they're trying to escape. Kylo chases him down. He's all injured, and he kept hitting himself in the side. Part of that is um, it, it like, enhances his, ind- his adrenaline, you know, and mm-hmm. it helps to kind of uh, lessen the pain. That part is what threw me off is when he keeps beating his chest like Mark Wahlberg in fear. That just kind of threw me off. It was just like <laughs> Well, it wasn't his chest. his chest. He was, he was hitting his, his wound on his side. He wasn't hitting himself in the chest. He was, he was like, punching at his laser wound. His side, his chest, whatever. It just kind of threw me off. I was just like, dude, we get it. You're evil. You well, that, to... <laughs> but that's the reason why it's to enhance your uh, adrenaline and kind of like try to block the pain out. And you know, we see him just launch Ray against a tree, knock her out. Finn picks up the lightsaber and he's like, "That lightsaber belongs to me." And Finn's trying to be all bad. I was like, "All right, come and get it." And they have a see. There's a, here's an interesting thing though. When I looked at that, I'm, I'm, like him, Finn was actually doing okay with the lightsaber. Like he, if he was fighting a regular human opponent, 
So part of me is like, is that the uh, Stormtrooper training? You know, because like he did all right. He just didn't have the power to stand up to Kylo. He actually, you know, wounds him. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, all right, let me. I I want to. I'm going to comment directly on that because this is what's in my notes. Mm-hmm. It's very reminiscent of the Luke Vader fight, where Vader toys with Luke until he gets hit. So what happens when Luke <laughs> when Luke hits him in the shoulder? He immediately like the next move is him slicing his hand off. When Kylo gets hit, mm-hmm. he gets pissed. He turns around. Punches Finn, spins him around, and <laughs> runs the fucking saber right up his spine and paralyzes him. Like, yeah. like he's like, "Oh, okay, I, I, I'm gonna stop playing with you. Like, let me show you how it's done." And he just, it, both times, as like you're like, "Oh, he's holding his own. He's doing all right." And it's like, "Oh, he landed a shot. Oh, oh, he shouldn't have done that. Oh." And we see that. uh, It was funny, though, because I feel like that's a moment where, as an audience viewer watching this with a theater full of people, like, oh, shit, yeah, go Finn, go Finn. And it's like, uh, uh. Because we even see that a little bit when he he jams, like, the exhaust port into Finn's shoulder. It was the next scene that I got audience reactions from. That whole sequence, people were just snoozing because it was just like, okay, we get it. But what they really wanted to see was... Ray and Kylo. Yeah. So I thought this yeah. this next part was really cool when, you know, he's reaching out for this. And you can see how hurt he is because it doesn't just immediately fly into his hand because it should. He's reaching out for the saber, and it looks very much like it did on Hoth. But the saber flies right by his head and goes right into uh, Ray's hands. Mm-hmm. Then they have, like, a really cool scene. And, again, he's kind of toying with her, like... She's not presenting much of a challenge until he's like kind of backs her up and they're like locked in this uh, this like lightsaber embrace. And she says, he's like, you know, you need a teacher. I can show you the ways of the force. And she's like, the force. Then she closes her eyes, which is what Maz Kanata told her to do earlier. And then all of a sudden she's like, I'm a Jedi now and starts like whooping his ass. Like, not just physical, not just like with her skill, but like she physically overpowers him. Like when she grabs the saber and kind of like digs it into the snow, which I thought was a really cool move. And then she what we see in this is, you know, she gets him right up the face with the saber and just like slices his face open, which somehow the scar moves in the next movie. But we'll get to that in a minute. But we also see in the next film when he's got his shirt off, the scar goes like from just under his ribs all the way up to his face. So it was close. <laughs> that was a close one. And uh, yeah. so Chewbacca comes with the Falcon, rescues them, uh, Ray and, and Finn, and obviously Chewbacca carries Finn onto the ship because he's like this big, powerful, like hulking beast. And they fly away. They blow up the st- system, or the 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 station. And once again, and we saw this in uh, New Hope. We saw it in uh, Return of the Jedi. 
a massive celestial body is destroyed and there is no thought given to what's going to happen to the rest of that system. If you suddenly destroyed Mars or Venus, like, it would fuck up the rest of the solar system. Like, you can't just take all that gravity out and expect everything to be exactly the same as it was. Just like Endor, the thing. That's what I'm saying, Endor. Yeah. Yeah, but you got to remember, this is a space opera. I know, but... They they, they don't have to wear oxygen tanks and all, you know, and everybody can speak the same (laughs) language. Yeah, every planet yeah, has the same perfect gravity and conditions. And- I know. I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just. This is me being the nitpicky bastard that I am. <laughs> now, for the second time, Chewbacca gets the shaft. I'm gonna explain what I mean by that. <laughs> so, the end of New Hope. Everybody's given medals out. Chewbacca didn't get a goddamn medal. Why? He was just as important as Han. He should have gotten a medal. Chewbacca said when he signed up with the Rebels, I ain't in this for no damn medal. That's fine. That's fine. You know what? That's fine. Okay, so no medal (laughs) for that. But tell me, tell me this. (laughs) The The first person that gets hugged by Leia, who is it? Fucking Rey. She ever met Ray before? She ever seen Ray before? Not according to this movie. She goes over to Ray and hugs her. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, it's so bad. Uh, Chewbacca's standing over there like, where's my hug? This has been my best friend for like 50 fucking years. Where's my hug? And she's like, no, fuck you. I'm going to hug this girl I ain't never seen before. What was up with that? He's a secondary character. And that's it. It's yeah. bullshit is what that is. <laughs> like, and then we see, we see uh, R2 finally power up. And he comes waddling out and C-3PO is like, oh, my God, you're my friend. Oh, it's so great to see you. It's so, oh, I'm so happy you're here and you're awake and you're powered up. And he says, you know, he beeps at him and he's like, oh, don't say shit like that to me. And then immediately starts, like, pounding on him. And it's like, what? What? The C-3PO's got a manic depressive issue going on. Because you don't go, oh, it's so great to see you. Now I'm going to start punching the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, The other thing I notice about the end of this film is that Ray has a very specific outfit that she likes to wear. Like, she's got those weird half sleeves or three-quarter sleeves, but, like, leave her shoulders <laughs> open. Um, it's mobility, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I could understand why you need to be, uh, you know, warm like that on a uh, desert planet (laughs) Uh, i will say that this was a great cliffhanger and uh, Mm -hmm. i want to immediately get into i want to skip the beginning of uh of of episode eight for right now because where this cliffhanger picks up now remember this is two years later Mm -hmm. when you guys saw this her holding out the lightsaber what was your thought uh cory you first well I thought it was amazing, but also the thing that I wanted to happen, like, you know, that, you know, this is the, the camera spinning around them and it's starting to, you know, the end of the film. If she holds out the lightsaber, it would have been so amazing if he did the, you know, didn't even move his hand up, just looking at it. And all of a sudden the lightsaber just started floating out of her hand toward him. And then it goes to black. And then, 
That would have been amazing. It would have been great. Steven? That was awesome. <laughs> um, when they had their confrontation at the end, first off, that was great. Um, you know, face to face. She completed her mission and she's giving him a lightsaber that he hasn't seen since Empire Strikes Back. Um, I would have kept everything. The only thing I would have added was him saying, "There used to be a hand to that to that attach <laughs> that thing." Did you? Did you? <laughs> yeah. And then she could have said something like, "No, we're uh, we're all out of hands," you know. And then about yeah, hands. So. so that's my only uh, addition to that. Phil, how about you? What was your your reaction to? her handing over or presenting this and then it kind of cutting to black no no pun intended yeah phil are you there because you were on mute at the moment i don't know if you are aware of that sorry about that no um, no problem i'm back uh i, I had the mute on sorry because i was sneeze i had a sneeze um basically uh i didn't really get attached to the lightsaber to be honest i mean obviously it has some significance because uh it may have been the one that even obi-wan had given him but um i think the thing that that so that didn't really i didn't really care about i but i did think it was a solid uh ending in the sense that she made it to him and well and and the the saber symbolizes a jedi and itself whether it was that special one or not so it, it just seemed appropriate and so it was like a a cool reveal i mean i think i think the reveal of of luke was more interesting than than even having a lightsaber and and presenting it to him and so I, th- I think i was more stuck on uh luke and not because not just because oh wow luke's there but also you know, there was rumors that Luke was going to be in the film just like uh, Han Solo was going to be in the film. And then mm-hmm. yeah. after watching the film, everybody was like pissed. It's like, my God, he's in it for two minutes. I mean, two seconds. And he doesn't even speak, you know. And so that that kind of was like it too. But all in all, I felt it was pretty solid uh, reveal, even if the ending itself was a disappointment because he was only in it for a minute. Yeah. See, I would have, like, I'm with Steve. I would have liked him to have said something, like, you know, because everyone, it, it was kind of hinted at that, you know, pretty much everybody from the original trilogy, and I mentioned this earlier, kind of knew who she was. So if they were to say to her, like, you know, if Luke was like, so you finally found me, or so you're here, or, you know, something like that, as opposed to. <laughs> You know, just give us a grumpy line. That would have been great, too. Get off my lawn. (laughs) So, this is what really upsets me about Episode 8, The Last Jedi, is uh, Stephen and I were talking about this off-air earlier. So This is where I start cracking open a drink, and we can drink to this, because this movie was a dumpster fire. There are things that I liked, and I want to highlight some of the stuff that was actually innovative and cool and I thought uh, a good addition. My issue with this film is Ryan Johnson is a very good writer and director, as we just saw from Knives Out. Yes. Mm -hmm. And 
and, yeah, and Looper. Yep, yep. Um, I haven't seen that one, but this That's one awesome. with Knives Out, he really does this subversion of expectations the right way. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the Mr. Plinkett movie reviews, but in it he talks about how you know he's making fun of Ryan Johnson. He's like, oh, yeah, Johnson used to mow my lawn, and then one day he came in and just like fertilized it instead. He said he was subverting my expectations. And <laughs> that's kind of what this movie is, where you have – it's lazy writing. It's really – like we talked a little bit about contrivance and plot convenience and stuff in the first movie, but this one, like there's a scene when they, they send all the bombers out and one TIE fighter manages to, you know, as it's being exploded and flying out of control, hits one bomber, which then crashes into the second bomber, which then crashes into the third bomber. It's like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, you couldn't have come up with a better way to to write that scene or direct that scene. Like, it has to be like, oh, look at this wacky coincidence. The whole scene at the beginning with with Hux and Poe Dameron going back and forth, like, oh, okay, I'll hold. I'll do this. I'll, you know, it's like, oh, my God. It's like. That was terrible. Well, he, he's screwing with you, sir, or something, whatever he said. Yeah. yeah, he's tooling with you. Tooling with you. I saw this movie like opening night, and then I saw it two days later because I was I'm walking out of the theater, and it was this weird, weird like feeling for me. And I looked at Ashes, and I go, I don't think I liked that. And it's like, I didn't like a Star Wars movie. And I liked all of them. I even liked the prequels. There were parts that I hated, but the stuff that I liked outweighed the stuff I didn't. And I went a couple days later. I went on Saturday with a bunch of people. We went and saw it again, and I was like, nope. I do not like this movie. Steven, you look like you have something to say. Yeah, I I was the same way. I saw this and opening night. And to be honest... It's still ingrained in my mind. I didn't need to rewatch it before this because I, I know a lot about it because it was so bad. I know everything, how, like how bad it was in my head. That's how it was just like, what the hell was they thinking? See, and, I, I had, even though I felt and, that same way, I had to rewatch it because, you, you know, there's subtleties and things that you don't pick up on when you're watching it in the theater. You're seeing it for the first time. You have different expectations. If you watch it a second or third time, and this is, I think, my fifth time watching it, to give you an idea, um, there are certain things that you pick up on when you're at yeah. home that you don't pick up on in the theater. But the thing was, when I saw it and the movie ended, Basically, I crusted the clown, and I said, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> and worker in parasite. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I some of the stuff was trying to be too funny, like BB-8 reenacting the boy in the dike story. Um, you know, like sticking his finger everywhere, and then just like head butting. That was dumb. Um, some of the things that. Again, I I realize what what Phil's been saying. This is a space opera. Like, there's some suspension of disbelief. There's there's all that you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. But like, 
when what we find out is uh, Rose's sister is trying to release the last of the bombs. So there is no force in space that would propel these bombs downward if you just opened up the bay doors and let them fall. They wouldn't. Like, that's just not how space works. So that's that's one thing. I'm not going to harp on the no sound in space thing, but there is something I want to touch on at the end of this when we talk about that one cool scene. But uh, when we see the remote fall, it clearly falls past her. There's no way she's catching that. But the fact that she's just got the bay doors open into space and she's breathing comfortably, that bothers me as well. Because we see... Bullshit alert. Yeah, we see shortly, uh, a little while later into the movie, where if you just open up into space, you're pretty much fucked. So... That's pretty much any space movie. Yeah. It's like, oh, I can't breathe. Let me put on my goggles. Ah, that's much better. Um, So, the whole thing with Finn walking around like you know, discombobulated and and disoriented with the the, the thing leaking everywhere. Terrible. Um, I didn't like the fact that, you know, I I did like the fact that Finn was both right and wrong. They're like, okay, we have a chance to take out a dreadnought. That's absolutely the right thing to do if you're already like 90% of the way of, of defeating this thing. Yes, continue to do it. But you lost most of your fleet. You lost a ton of rebellion fighters. You crippled any chance you have at coming out later on and and making a reasonable stand. We see that towards the end of the film as well. Um, I, my note says so. We cutting back to the resolution of that cliffhanger scene because somehow that doesn't open the movie. Uh, fuck this scene with Luke. Two years of waiting and speculation for a cheap joke, especially with the dramatic music le- leaving up for it, leading up to it. Terrible. He didn't ask Ray a single question. Then my follow-up note: Fuck the Porgs too. So, uh, I don't know, man. Like, like, um, I felt like that scene was fitting, man. Because, um, what does Luke know right now? It's obviously he's reclusive. He doesn't want anything to do with anything. So. Right, but to take the lightsaber and throw it over his shoulder, like, that to me was that stupid. That made perfect sense. And no. Th- and think about it. He's had another I... lightsaber since then. That's the one he lost. And so Yeah, but he's had a lightsaber <laughs> since then. He built one. He had one. He still had yeah. one. He had his green one. I think yeah. I'm siding with Corey on this. I think it brought back too many bad memories. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it felt like something he would do, man. Just the way he was acting, you know, in there from, you know, from throughout this film. Yeah, it made sense. For me, the character that we saw throughout this entire film was not Luke Skywalker. It was Mark Hamill playing Mark Hamill on on screen. <laughs> it was not Luke Skywalker in any way, shape, or form. Because but what if, this is like thirty years since maybe um, Jedi, you know, so twenty. Yeah, this is a different guy. It doesn't (laughs) matter. Not that guy anymore. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't have a problem with his. um, I had a huge issue with it. What I would have liked to see, and Phil, I'm going to get your opinion in a second on this. What I would have liked to see is instead of him taking it and throwing it over his shoulder and walking away like, "Oh, oh, that was so funny. Oh, no one expected that. Subverted your expectations." 
would have been him refusing to take it and like you know giving us a, a a little bit of a monologue like i gave that up long ago i've cut myself off from the force i'm not who everyone thinks i am anymore like i'm here because I can't do this anymore and like have him be a little bit vague about it or have him take it and then hand it back to her and be like, I can't take this because this belonged to someone else. You know, something along those lines, Phil, what, what would he, what is your thought on that, that whole scene? Um, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. I, I, I think this, the scene, um, was just, I mean, the, the whole aspect of, of this film with, with its weird comedic moments, it's uh, disobeying orders and on and on and, you know, no punishment, all this other stuff. It's it just, I, I felt what you just said, which would have been perfect. No, thank you. I'm, I'm, that's not me anymore or something like that. To just take it and throw it and, you know, to get a laugh out of everybody. And all, I don't know. I, I just felt it. I, I do want to point out that even Mark Hamill, you know, talking about this film, hated it and made lots of like comments like, yeah, well, you know, that's what they gave me and that's the script. But that's like he was pissed when they did table reads for the first time. He was angry. Like, I don't know if you guys ever saw any of the, the footage from like the last Game of Thrones table read and like the way Conleth Hill reacted to some of it by like taking a script and throwing it. Like, that's what this well, was to me. Uh, well, to be honest, um, I, though I agree 100% with you on how this script landed up, I disagree with Mark Hamill. A complaining and whatnot because again he's getting paid this is this is his uh paycheck and he's not the boss it's not his work he may be a character that, that and became the character but it's not his work so i i his complaints they're fair and, and whatnot but for him to complain I, i've seen a lot of films actor or someone complained and didn't like what happened but i still thought it was really good and, and critics did as well so his personal opinion backs our point Patrick but mm-hmm. I don't think it really matters his opinion in the long, long run it, it really what really matters what we saw on the screen and 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 you know me you were on the same page but uh, him complaining sounds more of sour grapes rather than um, quality of, of writing see I will I will uh, disagree with you on that because this is a guy who came into uh, talk about Ryan Johnson, who came into this was like, yeah, I never really read the script for the first one. I was just going to do what I wanted to do. And, you know, my job is to, you know, you know, create subterfuge and, you know, misdirect the audience and this and that. And it's almost how that turned out. Yeah. It's like he had no respect for the source material. He had no respect for any of the history of the characters. Like watching this again, one of the notes I took was, has Ryan Johnson ever seen a Star Wars movie? Because to me, like I said, this is not who Luke Skywalker is. Luke Skywalker, who spent, you know, the better part of his Jedi training going against everything. Everyone's like, you have to go fight Vader. You have to kill Vader. You have to go fight him. You have to go fight him. You have to kill him. You have to stop him. And he's like, no, there is good in him. 
there is still light in him. I sensed it. I know I can bring him back. They're like, nope, you got to kill him. You got to kill him. Vader and Obi-Wan, you got to kill him. You got to kill him. You got to kill him. I mean, not Vader, Yoda. And what does he do? He manages to turn him back to the light, something that Yoda and Obi-Wan could not do. So for him to then, like, oh, I sensed some darkness in, in my nephew, so I immediately went to murder him. Like, that's not what Luke Skywalker would do. You're talking about a guy who had decades and, like, all these thousands of terrible things killing tens of thousands of people through various actions. You know, whether it's one-on-one, slaughtering children, and Luke's like, no, this guy is still good. As opposed to a teenager who's just begun his training, he's like, ooh, he might go down the path of the dark side. And then, like, you try to kill him? My problems with this film aren't necessarily with Luke's character because um, maybe that's something as well. You know, like you said, maybe you saw Vader that he could change it. And maybe, I mean, I got to go with the guy's wisdom. He's, you know, at the point when he does get with Kylo, he's a bit older. He's a little bit more seasoned. He's a little bit more um, in tune with the Force and his sensory and his perception. And maybe when he did examine Kylo, he was like, you know what? This one, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> and, and and maybe that what you know came to this conclusion to try to take him out. So I mean I don't know. But see I, I I can't I I look at it like people who you know uh look at the people who like rehabilitate it's like someone who rehabilitates pit bulls. Like even the people that like rehabilitate like the fighting dogs and stuff like that. It's like all right, we know that if we just train them, we can get them back to being, you know, good you know, uh, family-friendly animals again. And then them looking at a puppy who is kind of nippy and like, well, got to kill this one because there's no way we could possibly ever <laughs> fix him. That's he, exactly, little, to me, he that's... He was a little bit more than a puppy. He wasn't one of those puppies right. that uh, Anakin slaughtered. You know what I'm saying? Right, but what I'm, what I'm saying is, like, different. you have a year-old puppy or, you know, a 10-year-old dog that's been fighting its whole life. But you can rehabilitate the ten year old, but not the one year old. You see what I'm saying? Like you're you're taking someone who like from the time he was what, fifteen uh, no, nineteen when he killed all the sand people? Like he's been doing this and now he's forty. So two decades he's been slaughtering Jedi, he's been going throughout the like killing people indiscriminately. So, to me that means he kinda has some um I don't know, man. I feel like he, uh, at least Luke, has, you know, those extra 20 years of experience, man. Right, so he should be more confident in his ability, like, okay, this kid is coming down this path to the dark side. More sure in in this ability that he can. See, I don't think he would give up. See, I just don't think he would give up that quickly. He wouldn't be like, oh, I sense the dark side in him. Well, better get my lightsaber out so I can murder him while he's sleeping. Does that seem like a light side thing to do? Or would he no, just... But, nope. But it's the more fun thing. Uh, well, you know what? You know what? I'll, 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 I'll give it this. If I can interject. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the movie The Dead Zone, where uh, Christopher Walken's character asked the doctor, what would you do if you could go back and kill Hitler as a baby? And, you know, the doc, you know, says, well, that's a good question. I'll think about it. And then he comes right out and says, I killed the fucker. 
if if you knew that the next the guy in front of you is going to be the next uh, Stalin or Mao Zedong, I, I can mm-hmm. see Luke saying, "So I had no issues with that." See, my whole thing is anytime someone has viewed the future, and we even see it in this film, just because someone views the future and they see like, "Oh, this is what's going to happen." You can't see past a choice you haven't made yet. And if you don't get the opportunity to make that choice, like him deciding, like Kylo Ren waking up, or at this point, Ben Solo waking up, seeing Jedi Master Luke Skywalker, who did everything to turn you know, Darth Vader back to Anakin Skywalker in the light side of the Force, sitting there holding this lightsaber over me as I'm sleeping. Don't you think that did more to turn him to the dark side than if Luke had been like, okay, listen, you know, you've got some issues here. Let's work through them well, because... Well, well, here's my thing uh, I, I, so far that we've seen with these two films. Like, I feel like um, they've been toying with us with Kylo's persona for a while now. Even the way this film ends up, there's moments in this film where you feel like, oh, there's hope for him. But it seems like every time he hits that fork in the road, he goes to the to the dark side, you know, like they'll set him up and he'll have a moment where we're like, oh shit, you know, maybe he's going to come back over. And so far, I think, um, seems like Luke was right. Incorrect. (laughs) Incorrect. I can point out, I can point out one, I can give you an example right now. Well, all right, Phil, go ahead. And then I'll, I'll point out my example. Sure. 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 And what I was going to say to answer your question was, um, I see your point where you would think that that was the case, but, um, Luke being the master in this force th- that Ben wasn't, I- I'm thinking, and maybe it wasn't portrayed well enough in the film, but I would think that Luke would know that, okay, this guy is going to be a mass murderer or do some, some bad stuff. And so even though Ben woke up seeing what he saw, I think he was already that in that you know he was already gone at that point anyway well even yoda couldn't see anakin's future like sitting next to him like specifically reading his future he couldn't see it you know so and like i said we've we've always heard that it's viewing the future is never you know uh like luke saw his friends die if he didn't go confront vader and and Yoda's like, yeah, but if he he'll kill you instead. So like, I saw it in the future, and then obviously none of that happened. But uh, to Corey's point, the uh, the example I can give you right now is when they went on that bombing run, and they were just destroying everything. Who fired the shot that blew out the 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 bridge of the ship that ki- that should have killed Leia? Not Kylo Ren. No, he took his hands off the. He took his hands. He he sensed his mother. She sensed him. You could see that connection. And he oh, took yeah, his hand right. off the trigger, and did not fire that shot. So yeah. that just goes against everything you just said. He killed her friends. He didn't fire that <laughs> shot though, because once he realized yeah, that it was yeah, her, then it wasn't. It wasn't, yeah, because, it wasn't because he's a good guy. It's because he sensed his mother. His right. Wasn't on the show. Yeah. I mean, he can still be a piece of shit, but maybe he doesn't want to be directly. But if you're completely dark, if you are 100 yeah. percent committed to the dark side, it doesn't we'll matter. We saw Vader force right. choke his pregnant wife. 
Yeah. But like I said, like I feel like you know, at least especially in this film, man, Ryan Johnson especially is playing with that fact that, you know, there's a chance of redemption for Kylo. But for whatever reason, I don't know if he was right or not, but this Luke was not here for for it. You know, he was like Fuck it, this guy has to go. <laughs> Can I just that. say that scene cool. with Leia? That just kind of insulted my intelligence. We'll get to it, Steven. Like, like, um, I feel like also there's that thing, you know, the previous films have um, painted um, Luke as kind of like this Boy Scout figure, you know? So I'm kind of cool seeing him just, you know, kind of get a little cynical and uh, toward all of this, you know, at this point in his life. Like, oh, like I don't know. Like, I'm here for it. I will. I, I do want to point one thing out before we get on to the uh, the Leia scene in a minute here, because that that's one that mm-hmm. drove me out of my fucking mind. Um, Luke talking to Ray after Chewie bashes the the door in. It takes him several minutes to be like, "Hey, where's Han Solo?" But uh, you think I came to the most unfindable place in the galaxy for no reason <laughs> at all? Oh, you came to the most unfindable place in the galaxy. Generally, if you want to go to an unfindable place, you don't leave a fucking map to find exactly where you are. Like, if you don't want to be found, you don't leave directions. on. It's like, that's it. I'm running away to 127 Main Street on the third floor. It's like, no, you, you leave. It's his map, his, his um, um, pin that he dropped, or is this just someone else knowing where he was and they, you know, made the map to get to Skywalker? But only Skywalker knew where he was going. No one else knew. Like, he wasn't there with anyone. Maybe one of those uh, made aliens sold him out, you know, for... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there's a, there's a scene... It's hard to see, but he crashed his X-wing in the ocean. Yeah, yeah, this is wild. Yeah. So here's here's a couple of things that I wrote down as we're getting to this Leia scene that I'm sure everyone wants to talk about. Um, you know, going back to Kylo in his ship going towards the uh, the main bridge of the uh, Resistance ship. I, I couldn't help but notice he, he started doing barrel rolls or whatever, and I'm like, oh, Kylo tried spinning. That's a good trick, which is, of course, a callback to episode one. Um, and this is, I'm going to bring this up later on in the film because, like we were talking about with Han Solo, about how there could have been a much better way for him to meet his end. Uh, the way they killed Admiral Akbar pissed me off so much because, like, they were like, hey, here he is, and then blow them out into space. So, okay. I have to I have to take a a moment for this because again, <clears throat> rage alert. Rage yes. alert. So, Leia was out <laughs> in space unprotected for nearly 2 minutes. Like we saw her get blown out into space. And when you are in space, within 90 seconds, your eyes and tongue, all the fluid on your eyes and tongue will boil because of the uh, low temperature. That's what happens to fluid in low temperatures. They actually boil, which is crazy. They boil and evaporate. You would swell up like a balloon as all of the oxygen in your body expands. However, the elasticity of your skin would prevent you from just exploding. However, again, any moisture you have on the surface of your skin, like say you were sweating, would boil off. Like, you would freeze solid in a matter of minutes. So, 
That being said, there's also no friction in space, so there's nothing for her to propel against as she turns into Carrie Poppins and flies back to the ship. (laughs) There's nothing for her to propel against. She's not reaching towards anything. And then she opens up the airlock door, but there's no airlock door behind her. So as she opens that, everyone else should have been sucked back into space. This scene drove me out of my mind for so many reasons. It's like, all right, we understand she has a vague connection to the Force. We understand that she can feel things, and the Force is strong in in the Skywalker lineage. We understand that. But to fly through space after being unconscious for nearly two minutes with no ill... Oh, she she fell into a 20-minute coma. That drove me nuts. Uh, Steven, I want your thoughts first. Well, first off, um, when this movie came out, the news of her passing, obviously, was one of those things was just like, I think it was like, what was it, a month? A month after. The movie? I think it was slightly after. Well, either what they could should have done, and I will defend this, uh, like a bunch of things I will defend till the day I die. They should have, if they blew her out in space, they should have killed her off. Yeah, she died December uh, 27th. Yeah. Um, They should have killed her off. Um, Yeah. Because I agree with you, Patrick. Scientifically, that is not possible. Um, It's just... How... How is this possible? I mean, it's like you... Back to the source material, I don't think they... I don't think they were reading the source material. I think they were just pulling a scenario out of their ass. Like they had scenarios in a hat and they were just like, Hey, let's just get these scenarios. Like the Rick and Morty writing room. Yes. Um, like monkeys in a typewriter. Yeah. Put a monkeys in a writing room. That's how they wrote the script. It was just how in the astronomical, I mean, how how I'm speechless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was in the theater. I was tempted. I was this close to walking out. I'm just like, how did this get on screen? It's just. I need a drink. Uh, Phil, your thoughts. <laughs> um, uh, I felt the same way I felt when Han Solo died. I I was absolutely furious. I felt this was stupid. They, they should have, as, as Steven said, um, had the character die. Um, I mean, if they're they're going to knock off all the other uh, leads from the first trilogy, why, why they would have her false death not be a death in this? And the way it happened was was absolutely stupid. Um, I, I just despised the scene passionately. Absolutely despised it. So she, uh, just re-looking at this, she died December 27th, 2016. Uh, this movie came out in 2017. So she had passed yeah, a long time. Passed. Yes, yeah. for almost she yeah, right a after year. The, um, um, Rogue so One. The, um, yeah. So, so they yes. could have rewrote the scene. That's right. They could have just... Well, and, and, and you know what? We, we, I didn't even get the comment. Well, sometimes I, I, the filming, you know... Hold on, hold on. Everybody's talking over each other. What were you saying, Phil? 
I, I was pissed about Admiral Akbar as well. I mean, th- there was no reason to take him out that way and that quickly and all that. I mean, it was just so unglorious and and insulting to the character. Well, we're we're gonna get to what I thought should have happened. We're gonna talk about that a little later because there's uh, something that I think we can all agree on that. Uh, we can, like I said, we'll talk about it a little later. But I think we might all agree that this would be a much better, much more fitting end. Uh, but Corey, you were you were saying something too? Oh uh, well, well, let me go back to Akbar. Like um, the Akbar theme did feel weird to me. Like it just didn't seem necessary. You know, like I would have been fine if he wasn't even in this film. But I think they just wanted to kind of play on that nostalgia a little bit. But then to just take him out like that—that that was a bit weird. But um. With the layer thing, I think it might be kind of the opposite of you guys. Like, that kind of just caught me out of nowhere. And it didn't, you know, I didn't feel anything negative about it. You know what I'm saying? To me, it was like, it was a it was a moment where it kind of made sense. I mean, even in the original, um, you know, three films, you know, it kind of alluded that she was force sensitive. In my brain, I'm like, well, maybe, you know, since we last seen her on screen, maybe she did get some kind of training. Maybe it was the force um, acting on her behalf a little bit, you know what I'm saying? I mean, the possibilities are crazy, man. We're talking about a series where a guy can choke you just by looking at you, you know what I'm saying? So this isn't outside of the realm of possibility for me. Maybe they could have uh, scaled it down a little bit and, and, you know, maybe the way it was shot or filmed. And, you know, like you said, the whole thing about her coming into the airlocks and everyone is just, you know, standing around. and But... It didn't throw me out, of, out, you know, because, I mean, I know you guys are, you know, pointing out to the science of this a lot, but to me, even though this is considered science fiction, a lot of this stuff is really just um, classic fantasy and mythology, man. If you look at the storytelling and, you know, what these characters are doing, you know, it just happens to take place in space and then in a world where, you know, there's space travel and um, technology and stuff, but... Uh, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a big turnoff for me seeing that scene, man. It, it was crazy, but it didn't throw me out of the. I didn't have any rage toward it or anything like that. You know? All right, and that's and that's fair. So now I want to I want to get to the next the next section that really, really like got under my skin, and I think again uh, there might be some similar opinions uh, in the room here. On these remaining ships, so first of all, the whole fuel thing that's driving me nuts. So like, oh, they can't get away, but they'll, uh, you know, they're going to run out of fuel, and you know, they're just out of range of our of our yeah. blasters. It's like, why don't you speed up your ship so you can catch up to them? Like that, I didn't get. It's like, oh, great. I, I, this is a world where this is a world we've watched. Uh, what is it? Um, seven films so far, and there's never been a fuel crisis. They're, they've mentioned fuel a couple of times. They have mentioned fuel a couple of times, but it's never been like we're not considering fuel in these. Right, we don't we don't care about it. Guys are flying. the The closest we see is when Obi Wan has to go to like some of the farther off planets. He has that like extra ring thing around his his uh, ship to get yeah. to the further distance. And they mm-hmm. do mention when he gets in uh, episode three, when he right before he fights Grievous and he lands on that planet, they're like, all right, we'll fuel up your, your ship. That's fine. But if you're going to have fuel, you know what else you need to do? You need to have people run out of uh, ammunition, which has never happened. No one's ever run out of ammunition. Never. That that lasts forever. <laughs> I but that's know what the ammunition looks like. Right. Nobody does. <laughs> Lasers. But no one ever mentions that. 
But that's not that's not what bothers me. It's like, you know what? Fine. No one's ever thought of it before, but that's okay. You know, obviously these things are running on some kind of, you know, fuel. They have to. So fine, you want to make that part of the plot, whatever. Here's what bothers me. So you have the rest of the entire resistance on these ships, including Vice Admiral Holdo, who Poe Dameron knows from reputation, but was like, oh, that's her? I'd never seen her before. Are you fucking kidding me? You, you've you heard of this person through reputation, but you've never seen them, despite the fact that they're on your fucking ship and is now taking command? And in what universe? Poe po can be a little aloof at times. He knows what Hux looks like. You know, you know what? You know what? They, they could have took the Laura Dern character and just got rid of her. Yeah, replaced her, replaced it with Admiral Akbar. Yes, yeah, that's part of part of what I was thinking. But here's the thing: he knew what Hux looked like. How does he know what Hux looks like? Because when he's trying that stalling tactic, you know, he mentions it at the beginning, like he describes him. So how do you know what Hux looks like, but you don't know what, like, the hero of these battles looks like, who's on your ship, who is standing in that room right before she gets introduced? And it's like, oh, this is Vice Admiral Holdo. And, like, she walks up and is like, hi, I'm Vice Admiral Holdo. And it's like, oh, that's who that is? It's like, that pissed me off. But not nearly as much as not telling him the fucking plan. You have this whole side mission. You have this whole, like, hour of the film dedicated to finding, like, the one guy in the entire universe who could possibly help you. And you don't find him because you were illegally parked on the beach. And you get arrested for being illegally parked. And then the guy you're thrown in a cell with just happens to be able to do all the things that you need to have this mission succeed. And then they go through the whole process of having that mission happen, only to not do the one thing that they were trying to do, which was shut down the uh, the tracker. They get to the room, but they never shut it down. So that whole plot point could have been taken out. And I want to, I want to, uh, I'm a, I'm a, a science and, and as you guys can tell, I'm a <laughs> science guy. Do you know, how far a parsec is? Just anybody. Yeah. 19.2 trillion miles. That is a parsec. Mm. So when they're flying back from Canto Bight, when they're flying back and uh, Finn goes, oh, we've only got about four parsecs left. This This ship really cooks. If you're traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, you know how long it would take you to go 14, uh, I'm sorry, four parsecs or 79.2 trillion miles? I already did the math, so I'll tell you. 13 and a half years. If you're going, if you're going 10 times, (laughs) even if you're going 10 times the speed of light, it's still going to take you... How about 12 parsecs? Again, a unit of distance, not measurement. I mean, not speed, a uh, time. So when they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're just throwing shit in there to make it sound cool. 
Like, because it takes them about, I don't know, six minutes to go those 19 trillion miles four times. Like, that made me really angry. I don't know. I mean, I'm probably the only one on that uh, in that front because yeah, I'm the only I one. I would have had to have known what the, what the Right. Nobody does. Like, it just went over my head. I was like, all right, fuck it. We're just trying to stay. And they don't emphasize that. <laughs> right, and they don't talk about how fast they're going. I mean, but they're they're you'd have to be going thousands of times the speed of light just to make it. And even then, it's going to take you days and weeks to make it from where you are to like you're not going to make it in 6 hours, which is how long they had before their fuel ran out. So and that ugh. This a lot of the plot points in this film are predicated on people not giving other people full information, like these force connections that Ray and Kylo keep having. Luke, you know, can't sense it because he cut himself off from the force. And he, when he finally does sense it, it's because he had reestablished his connection. But Ray never says anything like, hey, this is weird. What do you know about this? And he'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? How is this happening? We need to get out of here because they're going to find us. Never never once mentions anything. Like, we have this whole huge side mission, which ends up in a mutiny, which ends up with, you know, all, all kinds of conflict and internal strife, simply because no one wants to tell Poe Dameron, who's a, clearly a hothead who doesn't follow orders that we've already seen happen in this in this film, you don't want to tell them what's going on and you're just going to hope that everything's going to be okay. That's the other thing. They use the word hope about 455 times. It's at least 30% of this entire movie's dialogue. So that, that made me upset. And I have three more times in my, in my uh, notes, fuck the porgs. But for you guys, what was the one thing about this film? I want, I want you guys to each give me one thing that you really liked and one thing that like would force you to go off on a tangent like I just have. And I am going to start with uh, <laughs> you, Phil, because I'm interested to hear what you think. Um, yeah, so I actually like um, the uh, uh, what's it, what? What's what's her name? Uh, Finn, Finn's friend, the, the Rose. Rose, thank you. I, I had a brain cramp. Yeah, Kelly Tran's uh, character. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I actually enjoyed her character. Um, I know a lot of people didn't like her character and felt um, issues with it. Obviously, the contrivance that it was her sister at the beginning that was kind of silly and what. But again, this whole whole series is contrivances and coincidences. Yeah. Uh, but the character itself was pretty good. Obviously, the mission uh, was kind of uh, unnecessary um, in the long run. Um, but again, I liked the, the screen time that her character was in the film. So that was good. Uh, the rage is is the whole Princess Leia uh, thing where she was in space. That, that, that was That's my rage, just as yours. So I don't really have to add to that. Um, Corey, how about you? Something that you really liked, something that you really hated. I mean, I mean, to be honest, 
this I, I generally like this film, man. There okay. are things that get on my nerves, but um, one thing that I really liked in this film is the fact that when Ray um goes to see Luke and you know tells him what what's what you know and he explains his shit, but the fact that she basically from that point on trains herself, you know, I know some people like online were like, yo, what the fuck, you know, he's supposed to be helping her out, but she actually trains herself, man. I thought that was badass, and that just shows how powerful she is, man. You know what I'm saying? She's able to take just a small amount of cues from him and, and boom, it turns herself, it refines her skills, you know what I'm saying? It gets better with the lightsaber and uh, even more sensitive to her force ability, man. I thought that was amazing. But um, the thing that I really hated about this film um, was probably that uh, casino planet scene, man. You know, and I like Rose. I really like Rose as a character, but... And I know that was, you know, an extended scene with Rose and Finn, you know, with the um, the uh, alien um, racing. But, I mean, it, it also served another purpose. I mean, you get a bigger look at, you know, the um, the dynamics of the galaxy. You know, you've got these people that have gotten rich off of uh, pretty much uh, war profiteering. And yeah, that, that was, was good. Cool, but, yeah, but then the whole horse racing and then the, the little horse aliens and, uh, I mean, but... Like, uh, yeah, I kind of skip over that, man. That's when my eyes glaze over when I'm rewatching it, or I just, you know, might look at my phone and shit like that. But, you know, maybe they threw that in for the kids, maybe. Because that's one thing, too, I got to keep in perspective. I mean, these films are, you know, originally, you know, even though, you know, they got all this cool shit in them, they were conceived for a younger audience, man, to inspire them. And, it's for you know, and, uh, merchandising. Yeah, 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 you know, so... But I really hate that middle casino scene, man. Like, you know, the whole, like, it reminds me of maybe even in um, one part that I hated from the, uh, uh, what was that, episode one, the whole little the uh, pod racing chase. And yeah, oh. even the pod racing to a certain degree. But it's like, you know, these uh, scenes that are really big visually, but, you know, kind of just empty spectacle, you know? Like, you could have just explained that in a sentence or two versus us spending, you know, you know, eight to ten minutes actually, you know, taking up, you know, filming it and, you know, animating it, you know. So. See, the the issue that, uh, uh, before I get to you, Stephen, I just want to interject something real quick. I have no issue if you are one of those folks who really enjoyed this film. And if you didn't, en- if you didn't enjoy it, as long as you have, like, valid reasons, and you're just like, oh, I hated it. You know, if you're one of those people that, you know, think that they should have made Star Wars the way you wanted it to be made. You know, I've made some of these complaints, but I think my complaints are valid coming from a background where if you're going to have a character act a certain way, that character should consistently act that way all the time. They shouldn't randomly change just because, like, uh, for example, the first the first trilogy, episodes four, five, and six, you know, the characters acted the same despite having a different director in the middle trilogy. I mean, in the middle film, because that was Irvin Kirshner who directed Empire, and Lucas did uh, New Hope and Return of the Jedi. But the characters acted the I didn't same know way. Was a, um, separate guy on Empire. Yep, Irvin Kirshner is, is his name. Yo, what the fuck? You're learning something with Star Fights right now. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping to you know teach something. <laughs> or maybe it's just me because <laughs> I had no idea that another guy um, directed Empire. Wow. Luke, 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 what about the, the screenwriters for those three films? Because that that obviously. I uh, could have something to do with it. Lawrence Kasdan, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, the, the same, the same writer, but I mean, different directors are going to have different yeah. visions. So that, I think, uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 right, well, that's true, but but I think Lawrence Kasdan uh, 
was a, a pretty pretty strong influence in Hollywood at that time. I agree. Since. So I, I think I think it was probably more because of his writing rather than uh, the directing. So while here we have, like you said, uh, people are working independently. There are different screenwriters for each film, different directors for each film. So it's, it, it would be a little more different. So it's almost kind of apples to oranges in my opinion but but no i i can i can definitely understand what you're saying it's just in the larger point where it's like this is a character that has you know four decades of you know character growth and character development like even if you want to ignore all of the you know the books and the video games and the novels that are now considered non-canon like these characters always acted a certain way in every medium in which they're portrayed and to suddenly change how they act. I mean, even Abrams did it a little bit, you know, in the, in the first, first movie. So I can understand it, but to completely, I think it's the fact that he, uh, Ryan Johnson not only made these changes, but then came out and said, yeah, I never read the script for the original. I, you know, they asked him like, "Oh, you know, what about Captain Phasma?" He's like, "I didn't even know who that character was, and I wasn't even gonna have her show up in my in my movie." And it's like, "But what? okay, whatever." Um, but to you know, to have the characters act completely different, and then say, "Yeah, I never read the script for the first one," that's what bothers me. But if you can come up with and say like, you know, okay, this is why I didn't like X, Y, and Z. Because there is there is something to the suspension of disbelief. There is something to, you know, realizing that, okay, I'm sitting in a movie theater. I'm watching fake things that have never happened and never will happen as far as I'm, I know. However, it's when you go against the rules of the universe that are already in place for the sake of changing your story around. That's what bothers me. So... And that's and that's where I want to be clear. We're not just sitting here saying this is what we hate about this movie and it's a bad movie and we don't like it. And that's not what we're saying. We may not have enjoyed well, it. Like Corey said you liked it. Well, well, to be honest, to be honest, you you have a right to to dislike it just because you think it sucks. Right. And, and yeah, that's, and that's, fair, that's fair too, man. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, nothing is yeah. above criticism. Oh no, and I, I agree. Yeah, nothing is like, above criticism. Like just like people hate, you know, the the first of the prequels, you know, because of the kid or Jaja Binks or whatever. And even though the story technically was okay, you know, if you hated it for certain reasons, you just hated it, you know. So I, I have no problems if you hate it. <clears throat> movie sucked, as well as for specific reasons, as you, as you are implying as well. Right. What I'm what I'm saying is just you know hate for the sake of hate, just like oh I hated it because it's not what I would have done. Like if you can cite like. <laughs> I, st- I still think that's fine, though, because I- I've watched films where they go, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that. They shouldn't have done that. It's stupid. And I just hate the film. <laughs> but so, so I don't I don't I think it's it's there's many ways you can dislike something. And and, and that's fair either way. So, I mean, you don't. Ha- in other words, I'm saying you don't have to be an apologist for the way you dislike the film. Right. Because you're, it, it's fine. Just mm-hmm. as I, I, if you hated the film because it's not how you think Star Wars should be, I think that's good too. So I, I'm just saying that that is fine either way is what I'm saying. Okay, I mean, again, you know, I I prefer like if you're, you know, and again, this is my personal preference. If you're going to say, well, I didn't like it, and it's like, okay, well, what didn't you like about it? Well, I just I I did I didn't like it. 
Well, that's that's not okay. Like you have to say <laughs> well, well, yeah, the same way you have to say why did you like it? Well, I like this or I like that. Like, yeah. I mean, my biggest yeah. thing, if there is something I can say that that I don't like about it, and I think it speaks to what you guys have mentioned before, is is maybe Ryan Johnson's just um, his writing style because I feel like um, you know there was a lot of extra humor injected into this. Um, I mean, there's humor in this franchise, but the levels at which it was pumped up in this script is even opposed to, um, you know, the um, um, Force Awakens script. It just seems like it was doing a lot, you know, at times, you know, like like even the way Finn woke up out of his bed, you know, we could have got a more mm-hmm. intimate, quieter, you know, more, um, you know, um, somber and more impactful scene than him just waking up and shit squirting out and he's running out half naked like, oh, where the fuck am I? You know, like. You know things like that, um, and the interaction out, uh, that BB-8 and yeah. Finn uh, Poe have. It's like Finn naked leaking. Like, oh, did you fry a circuit or whatever, buddy? And it's like, no, yeah. he's describing what he's seeing. But yeah, yeah. Um, but, 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 but ultimately, for me, I think what still ends up winning me over. You know, I could probably pick this thing apart, but I'm just so geeked out for Star Wars, and there are. I feel like there's also just so much more overall that this offer for me to, um, you know, for me to to put it in a, in a negative uh, category. Because, like, if I do want to be honest, man, honestly, I think Rogue One and Solo I had more fun with than this film. And that's fair. At the same time, I, I, don't uh, think this is at the, I don't think this is at the bottom of the Star Wars pile, though, you know, at the same time. So. All right, well, yeah. I do uh, – <laughs> I, I got us off on a tangent. That was uh, that was my fault, but I thought it was some pretty good conversation. Oh, oh, hey, um, but, Steven, <laughs> that's, that's uh, your, it's your turn for that. Uh, something you liked and something you really didn't like. Okay, well, this one's easy. Something I liked, I didn't. Something I didn't like, what were you going to say, Patrick? I was going to say, I'm surprised you have, there's nothing about this film that you enjoyed. Correct. Um, Something I didn't like, well, there's two things. The Leia bit, which we talked about mm. in extensive detail, but the other thing was um, the ending with Luke. I, I get it. The fact that, yes, he's a Jedi. He's very powerful. We've seen him in eight movies. Well, sorry. Four, five, six, seven, eight. Five. Five, five movies. Sorry. It's late night it's okay <laughs> been a ball day um <laughs> um sorry uh it, it, we've seen him in five movies and we've seen him rise from being this kid on tatooine on this moisture farm to being um this powerful jedi and we don't see him fight kylo actually we see him use all his force power and fight kylo on a, in the desert but he's sitting on top of a rock. I'm just like, really? Well, there's a and little bit to that I want to get to, but go ahead. He just dies. I'm just like, okay, you kill off Harrison Ford in the previous film. You get They keep Leia, even though she's dead, her Carrie Fisher's dead, but they kill off Mark Hamill. Well, he's a force ghost. But... Right. Um, but it's just they could have done something better with him. That's just a big thing that I disliked from this. 
Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with some of the. One of the things I really disliked, I actually don't blame Ryan Johnson for, and that's the Porgs. Uh, the Porgs were 100 <laughs> trillion percent a marketing thing. Absolutely 100 percent marketing. That like, was probably yeah, just but, but I did love Chewie right. having a pour on, on a stick. <laughs> like, that was a funny scene to me. I mean, it might have been a, yeah. maybe. It was uh, going... funny, but it's like they guilted him into not eating it. But where were they when he caught it, killed it, skinned it, gutted it, and then started roasting it? Like, they waited a long time. Because they should have stayed away from him after they seen him. Even with it on a stick, why are they just still hanging around Chewy? Like, you just killed my friend. And you know <laughs> what I would have done? If like, I'm Chewy, especially <laughs> after, like, I let him into my ship and they start ripping shit up and nesting everywhere, I'd be like, no, no, this isn't happening. Then I'm eating them. Y'all got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so I will say my favorite part of this entire film, the one thing that I, I simultaneously like and don't like I know it's a bit of a, a, a cheat, but when they get everybody off the ship and they finally explain what the plan is and they send all the uh, all the remaining, uh, I almost call them time capsules, escape pods down to that uh, to crate. The battle, I mean, I mean, the the maneuver that Holdo does, where she turns the ship around, it goes to light speed and smashes through Snoke's dreadnought. That was, I thought that was dope. I like that was that. amazing, Stephen. Yeah. You didn't like that part. I mean, like, it was okay. <laughs> it wasn't anything to. It wasn't anything to write home about. That all right? Let me. I, I want to break this down scientifically. Now, first of all, let me talk about what I didn't like about that. Well, think of all the other self-sacrifice scenes. You have Armageddon, you have Serenity, you have all these other self-sacrifice scenes. But that just seemed like we knew that was going to happen. Well, it was... I'm with you, Stephen. I I will... Here's where I'm going to disagree a little bit on that. First of all, if you're going to have someone self-sacrifice, it's not going to be your second highest ranking officer. You only have a couple of officers left. And it's not going to be your second highest rated one because you lost most of your high command getting blown out of the uh, out of the bridge earlier in the movie. For me, uh, to kind of piggyback off of what Phil said earlier, because I agree with him, there should have been no Admiral Holdo. That should have been Admiral Akbar, and Akbar should have been the one to make this sacrifice. Now, yes. If you want to have sound in space, which I get they need to because it's industrial light and magic, and that's what they do. They they make really cool sounds, and they make really cool visuals. Fine. Now, if you rewatch it, and I, I didn't really catch this the first time either, but when she fires off to uh, hyperspeed, smashes through the thing, and you see all the ships behind them blowing up, that's because at the speed she's traveling, even the smallest particle of, of metal or a hunk of steel or screw or bolt, mm-hmm. at that speed, if it makes contact with something, it's going to explode with thousands of megatons of energy. Yeah. Like, it made that first ship like a uh, mine almost. Like, that first ship turned into yep. trap nail. 
and all yeah and everything her ship and the ship that she smashed through with the speed that they were going uh is just just devastating it's kind of like when you see it i really like that scene like um it had like kind of like just i mean i just saw that movie midway it was all right but but it kind of um you know reminded me of that shit just naval warfare in a Mm -hmm. way you know where like okay this is our last we're just gonna ram them you know pow and then well, that's the thing I think about too when I think about hyperspace. I'm like, how the fuck do they do this shit? They're going to speed of light, but they never hit anything. It's because they use the Nava computer to track their uh, trajectory, and they use different. It's the same way that they uh, when so they weird. send so like weird. the Voyager out, how it can you know yeah, they have but it. You could detect everything, every little piece of meteorite, and, and not oh no, that, that you like, can't. That you got to hope. Well, that's why they have shields. <laughs> Yeah, but this was pretty. I don't know. I, I just thought it was a cool maneuver. It's something we hadn't seen before. At least it's something new. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. And I will say that the. Uh, it should have been Akbar, though. Yeah. One of the parts I did like is that there's no sound at first. And then after a couple of seconds, then you hear the explosion. Yeah, yeah. That, that would that be, if they were in an environment where sound could exist, that would be fairly accurate. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like a supersonic uh, transport, like a Concorde or a, a Lockheed's, uh, what the hell are they, SR-71 Blackbird. Like, if they're yeah. breaking the sound barrier, you hear the sound after they pass. Right. So it's like that type of thing. Um, so there's a few more things, because we've been going just about three hours at this point, and I, I said that we, <laughs> like, we would I'm only do we would only oh, do yeah. two. I mean, we're, we're in the back end of it, but... Yeah, um, there's a couple of things that uh, I want to just touch on real quick. Um, some of them are stupid things, like you know, uh, uh, Finn referring to the guards as cops, like they wouldn't, like that's a, like an American <laughs> colloquialism because cops used to have big copper buttons on their uniforms, which is why they were called coppers, and then then shortened to cops. And also, and, also being one, I don't think he would have used that terminology as well. Like, having been a former one, like... It, it well, he sense. was talking about the guards on Canto Bite that were uh, holding them in their cell. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So, the... Yeah. the One of the other things that I really didn't like was how you know everything... And, and it's almost like Ray is taking Luke's place. You know, this is kind of what I touched on earlier where Luke is talking about the dark side and this and that, and, Mm -hmm. you know, he kind of takes on the Obi-Wan mentor role from, uh, you know, New Hope, where he's like, oh, yeah, I sense nothing but evil in them. There's nothing I could do. And Ray's like, no, 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 I can can turn him back. But Luke never attacked Obi-Wan from behind and tried to fight him and kill him. And she does she she does that a lot. We talked about that in the first movie where she just goes right after Finn and starts beating the shit out of him. She does the same thing to to Luke. She whacks him from behind and then like tries to kill him like they have like a legit fight. And, you know, she's losing because she's nowhere near the the duelist that he is. And it only the tide only really turns when she pulls out the lightsaber like she wants to kill him like that to me like you're forgetting about Luke Skywalker everything everybody ever told you about this guy and now you're dealing with Kylo Ren Kylo Ren a guy you watched paralyze your friend kill your mentor Han Solo like you've watched him do all these terrible things and now you're just like yeah well he's like boyfriend now so I'm gonna listen to him and not you 
I saw him without his shirt off, and I was impressed. So, <laughs> so she and she believes everything Kylo says, which is kind of a, uh, you know, a hallmark of the dark side. That I mean, fight scene. You, you kind of saw that with, at a certain point when uh, when Luke was first actually conversating with Vader. You know, there was a moment where he almost got Luke. You know, he almost fucking. You know, so maybe that's part of that. Dark sides appeal, man. They have a, an ability away with words, or, or you know, just a, a way to, you know, they, they kind of feel like Dracula's in a sense, man. You know, people say Dracula and his seduction, like his seduction, was probably the greatest ability of the vampire. You know, to be able to, you know, lure you in and tell you what you want to hear to, you know, bring you to their side. And um, that seems strong when dealing with the dark side of the force. You know, with all these characters, Palpatine, Vader. You know, Snoke even, you know, so shit. <laughs> now, one of the things that, that bugged me, again, you know, Holdo not explaining her plan. Leia admonishes uh, Poe for losing half of the fleet, but has no issue with, like, oh, I'm not going to tell you the plan. I'm not going to let you know what's going on. Well, well, we need to do something so we can jump to hyperspace, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. So he goes and, you know... Ray and I mean Finn and Rose go on their whole adventure, and what ends up happening because of that? They meet Benicio del Toro's character. He sells them out to the First Order, and then they realize, oh shit! All these little uh, undefended escape pods are leaving. Let's blow those things up because they have no shields and no weapons. Because of what Holdo did, they lost all of those. They lost half of what remained of the Resistance. Mm-hmm. And had she not turned the ship around and gone to uh, light speed and smashed into the dreadnought, they would have lost all of them. But yeah, nobody yeah. mentions, like, but, man. There was a lot of fucking pods, dude. Like, I didn't know they had. <laughs> well, they probably had, you know, 600 people left, but is 600 people so really enough to mount a resistance? Like, yeah, they blew up a lot of those pods, man. But also, that's another thing I didn't like. I didn't like the being Michio del Toro character arc. And and I like I said, I think that leads all into the whole tie in with us discovering, you know, the the war profiteering angle, but I just think that was just eating up scenery, man. It was a yeah. storyline that you know, when it got to where it got to, I was like, All right, but it was uh, unnecessary. We that shit out. Yeah, we could have got some more cooler shit in there, you know, but you know The way Kylo Ren hides his intentions from Snoke and ends up killing Snoke was amazing, and as much as I would have liked to hear more about where Snow came from and who he is and what he is and what his whole deal is, that was really cool because he was literally like he's like he turns the lightsaber towards his true enemy, like so he's using the force at the same time that he's physically doing something and uses that and that fight scene is amazing against the, oh, yeah, the guards. Well, well, the before you get to the fight scene, this is one thing that, that rubbed me the wrong way. Like, I didn't like that Snoke, um, how the, he got to Snoke. Because I'm like, yo, if Snoke's to the point where he's implanting thoughts and ideas into you and Ray, how the fuck can he not detect that you were sneaking um, and doing what you were doing? Because he was that actually just, doing it at the same time that he that was, was manipulating weird, that was I, I'm, I'm with Corey on this one. <laughs> that was really weird. Well, man. that's that's the downfall of all of these higher up dark side users. Like 
how did the emperor not account for, you know, Sidious? How did he not account for the indigenous life forms on the forest moon of Endor? Like they were down there forever. Like they had to build that whole base and the shield generator and all that, all the landing platforms and everything. They knew there were Ewoks there. How did, you know, it's, you know, like I, I, I wouldn't. I'm not, 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 you know, acknowledging the threat of the Ewoks because Ewoks really weren't a threat until, you know, the the rebel people got onto the planet. Right. So but he right, also right. he also right. didn't account for the fact that Luke would uh, turn Vader back over. Like they have very limited vision when it comes to certain things, and I think that's what. Mm. <laughs> Apples and oranges, man. This is apples and oranges. I'm just saying it looks like, you know, they <laughs> they um they don't always think things completely through and another dark side user like if Dark Plagueis the wise is the only one who could prevent people from dying, how did he get killed in his sleep by Sidious? You know, it's that's just the way the dark side works. Like they they get clouded. But uh Steven, you were you were saying something. Um, Snoke. It was about the the um, fight scene, I think. I, I, I or you a Snoke or something? Yeah. Yeah, the fight scene was okay. I mean, I enjoyed it, but the fact that we don't get a good look at Snoke, we see him through a hologram, and this is kind of what is throwing me off the left field with uh. Um, Rise of Skywalker because I thought Snoke was the prime baddie and I thought we were going to see him in um, Rise of Skywalker. I thought they were going to, you know, last, you know, pull the ori- the original trilogy card, you know. Right. They were, they were going to save it for Rise of Skywalker, but did, that that was what ultimately threw me out of the movie. They're They're doing that like they're having the confrontation in front of Snoke and then you know they do their they do their confrontation I'm just like okay I'm getting my money's worth out of this yeah that whole fight scene was absolutely amazing um it just oh like the way that they you know they switched weapons a couple of times where they um you know they're throwing things, they're throwing the sabers back and forth. Um, just was amazing to me. Like it was, and, and to see the way that the uh, the various weapons that the guards had, as well, that to me was uh, one of the coolest things because you had uh, you had like a couple of guys with whips, and there was. Is that going? All right, there we go. Uh, you had a couple of guys with the whips. You had a couple of guys with the, uh, you know, like the, the 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 double-ended thing that um, came apart, and the guy was using it as two different uh, two different weapons. Like there was some there was some cool cool stuff that happened between all of these different uh, these different guys, and they were clearly highly trained. Obviously, not trained as well as uh, Kylo and and, uh, and Ray, But I would have liked to have seen Kylo and Ray use a little bit more of the Force in that scene to kind of, like, toss these guys around. But I will say, when she throws him the lightsaber at the end and he catches it, like, up by his head and turns it on and, like, the blade goes right through the dude's face, 
that was a great scene. <laughs> and, yeah, I and, thought it was a pretty well shot scene overall, man. Like it definitely felt like a uh, really um, high moment in the film, you know. And there weren't so many like you know random cuts back and forth like you'd see in say like a Marvel fight scene. Like they they kind of hung on the action, and I think it was a lot easier because there's only two characters to kind of focus on. So you could kind of tell where everybody was in relation to where everybody else is. So I thought it was a really well choreographed and well um, well shot fight scene. Um, it, it was pretty awesome. So now I want to, you know, we're we're getting towards the end. We get to see uh, what's his name Finn fight Phasma, and I hate the fact that he said "Let's go, Chrome Dome." I hated that so much. Like it was so dumb. Uh, but again, another waste of Captain Phasma. We get her, get to see her barely do anything, and um, yeah. so now we have the final confrontation. You know, everybody's getting their ass kicked down on the planet because they've got these old, outdated, you know, forty-year-old like speeders on skis that uh, they're trying to use. Oh, well, because they, they even you know what, say though, I did like the um the, the look of this scene because um you know it's, it's almost like that whole planet was covered with salt so you got that almost snow like yeah. you know what I'm saying so you get that yeah it was very reminiscent of hot yeah, yeah visually it looked it looked cool um yeah 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 definitely did this to me as much as I enjoyed who Rose was throughout the film. This is what really bugged me about her is like Finn's like, all right, I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to stop this from happening. And she smashes into him and stops him from destroying the weapon that's going to, you know, at, you know, bust yeah. through their their uh, their fortress and kill everyone inside. And she's like, but that's how we'll beat them with love it's like you can't beat them with love if they're all dead if everyone's dead like how many times do they have to say this is the last of the resistance like if these folks die like you have poe in there you have leia in there like everyone's going to die if you and then it's like oh but let me give you a quick smooch oh now i'm passed out it's like why it, that'd be like if 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 Han came in and stopped Luke from blowing up the Death Star in the first in the first movie, and then they blew up Yavin Four. I mean, I like Finn, so at least we get him in another movie. Yeah, but <laughs> see, see, here's the thing with this thing. I mean, I can understand. I, I hear your frustrations, man. I definitely, but like. There's a certain point with this stuff where it's like, um, it's still just crazy fantasy and magic. I mean, like, like I said, man, he's done a great job of encapsulating this in this cool sci-fi exterior. But some of this shit is like, it's like Princess Bride at times, or even Legend. You know what I'm saying? Those films come to mind to me. No, I, I, I get you, but that, that, you know, like, it's, fantasy doesn't mean devoid of logic and reason. Oh yeah, yeah. They take all vacations in this series a lot. <laughs> so then we get the big reveal, and this, to me, it kind of shows you how blinded by the dark side Kylo Ren really is. Because we see Luke walking in like he's in his early thirties, just stroll in, you know, thick black beard, you know, looking looking young. Just walks in and. Gives Leia some hologram dice, you know, chats with her for a minute. 
then walks out and they're like, all right, aim every gun we have right at, right at that guy. And they just like shoot him over and over for like three minutes straight. They're just firing everything they have. Uh, well, I, what were you thinking when you saw that happen? Well, one of the first things I, I, I thought of, because um, I wanted to touch on this because I thought it was a really cool, uh, something that they did that was really cool in the design of the gorilla walkers. If you notice on the front of them, they had like these hooks, like these bladed hooks on the the front forearms. So yeah. you couldn't do like uh, what Luke did on Hoth and, you know, wrap a cable around them because they would cut through that cable. So I thought that was a cool design yeah, change, you know, nice attention to detail. When I saw that, I was yeah, thinking, adapted, you know, since Hoth. I was thinking Luke would have maybe put up a force field or, or did something where he was able to somehow uh, evade the lasers. I didn't know how he did it the first time I saw it, and I'm sure you guys are of the, the same opinion. Like, how did this happen? Um, yeah, I was like, yo, is this motherfucker that badass? Like, what, like am I looking at the Super Saiyan? He just, he just comes up and just, like, <laughs> flicks, flicks dirt off of his shoulder. So when I saw that, I immediately thought of Total Recall. The scene where um, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> gets shot millions of times by a horde of enemies, and then he gets up, laughs, and then the, best part. A, a, the wild Arnold Schwarzenegger appears and shoots everyone. Uh, that's immediately what I thought. So you think this is the Will Quaid? It is. <laughs> um, yeah, that's fair. That's definitely a good a good comparison. Um. But then when they, they go to and they actually have the fight, like some of the moves that he makes. The first thing, though, that jumped out to me is when he ignited the blue lightsaber. I'm like, hold the fuck up. They just destroyed this like five minutes ago. Like this is in several pieces. Luke doesn't have this anymore. He has a green one. He's had a green one since Return of the Jedi. He yeah, never I was got not even thinking that far ahead, dude. Like <laughs> See, I I am like if you showed me a lightsaber, there's a chance I could tell you who it belonged <laughs> to because I'm like I was at a at a at a con last year, a Fan Expo Boston, and there were these two kids that were like, I think this, you know, we were at one, like one of those displays that had all these different lightsabers for sale. And they're like, oh, I don't know what this one is. I was like, no, that one is this one. That's this, and the one you're thinking of is over there at the end. You know, and my my wife just looked at me like you're such a fucking nerd. I'm like, listen, I like lightsabers; they're like my favorite weapons. Mm-hmm. But I was like, wait a minute, and that to me just showed that Kylo was just so blinded. He would have been like, wait a second, where'd you get that? Because I have half of it right here. So. <laughs> You know he should have he should have been more because you know he knew what it looked like he knew like he wanted it and then to see it used against him for a second time after it was destroyed now it should have it should have done something and then I did like Luke's line of if you strike me down in anger I'll always be with you just like your father and then you know rewatching mm-hmm. it you know you notice that when Luke walks around and he like skids and stops and like plants his feet it doesn't disturb any of the salt like you don't see any of the red underneath and they yeah, yeah. 
That was good by Johnson because they focused on every time someone took a step, it disturbed the uh, the, the the salt, and you could see the red crystal underneath. And like he especially focused on Kylo's legs when he like got into his fighting stance. Um, but when you found out that he was a holographic projection, Stephen, what did you think when you first saw that? And I know you didn't like anything, but. Uh, did you? Did you? I, I, go ahead. I just, I just was like, "Fuck this, I'm done." And I, I, right when he, he was sitting on the rock and he flipped, like, you just saw his just his cloak, you know, fall onto the rock. I was just like, "Yeah, fuck this, I'm out of here." Okay. I walked out. Wow, Phil. Um. I, I was, uh, I guess I, I th- it was kind. Of, it was cool the idea, but it was also felt out of place because we would never seen Jedi's do this, and and you know Obi Wan and whatnot. I mean, maybe maybe Luke at this point is more powerful, even though he kind of stopped using the Force and for a while, but. So that kind of felt out of place. But I think the main issue I had was is that um, the outcome of him having – he wasn't actually the, – the fight w- w- was really just a, a red herring for the, for the whole film in a sense because – I don't know. It, it was just – it was cool, but it was it was kind of – Anticlimactic, I felt, because the, the battle itself was—they're obviously going to save for the for the next film. But um, I, I just felt his death and, and his whole story arc at that point had had been wasted, similar to the death of Han Solo from from the prior film. See, Agreed. For, for me, the issue with this, and I'll get to you in a second, Corey. I just want to kind of throw this out there: like the dialogue for this scene kind of bothered me, so. You know, Poe makes the observation. It's like Luke is facing him alone, and Finn's like, "We got to go help him." It's like, did you not just see him take like five thousand fucking blaster bolts, and like nothing happened? How are you gonna help him do that? Like, look at what he just did. Like that kind of that was like, all right, come on, don't be stupid. And then uh, Poe's like, "Oh shit, he's doing this so we can escape." And then we see. Mm-hmm. Ray moving all the rocks despite Luke telling her when they first met the force isn't about moving rocks and it's like yeah okay I wonder if she'll move some rocks in this in this movie and like that's literally what she does is move all the rocks to save people it's like oh fuck you with that uh, so Corey your your thoughts on that scene um I like the scene man or at least that moment where he you know where we find out that he's protecting himself and then the dirt off his shoulders but um, but I didn't like that that was what ended him. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I feel like he should have just collapsed and still existed. Like, if we're going to kill him or, and that's going to be his final moment, then I feel like, you know, it should be something other than that, man, you know? And, um, you know, people are, you know, we're arguing about, you know, um, could even, is it possible even, you know? And, and, and I guess there's a, I think that was a funny thing. Uh, Ryan Johnson came on Twitter, you know, after the film came out and posted an actual excerpt from the official I guess there was a Jedi version of a book, and then the um, the um, 
the uh, the dark side of version of you know what I'm saying, and they're yeah, talking yeah. about that that this force protection and presence, you know, this is possible, you know, protecting yourself like that. So, I mean, he's working with you know source material, but but I just don't like that it ended. Um, look, you know what I'm saying? That just doesn't it just it just didn't sit well with me, man. I expected another a better death with him, man. If he's gonna you know pick up the sword, which he did, but this is a hologram of him picking up the sword, so he's not really picking up the sword, like. Like, give him a real death in combat if that's what we're going for, you know, not this protection, yeah. you know, it's it's weird, man, you know. All right, I'm going to... Save him, save him to come to that um, conclusion for the next film, you know. Like, I'm going yeah, didn't, to... I didn't like how he did it, man. I'm going to disagree with you guys a little bit because I... I thought that was a good idea, and we had seen force projection throughout this entire film. You know, how many times did we see, you know... Ray and Kylo back and forth, even to the point where it was raining where Ray was and put uh, water on his hand. So it's like, "Mm, that's interesting. I've never seen that before. So when I first watched it, I was like, that kind of sucks. But at the same time, it's like the amount of energy and power that it would take for Luke to do this and manipulate everything that's going on from that distance. your first thoughts were, were correct. Man, this kind of sucks. <laughs> but, but like, why, but then I'm thinking too. Also, like, he's got buddies. He can't hit up like um Obi, fucking Yoda, um even Vader at this point. Yo, put give me some of your Force Ghost power. Oh, uh, I'm I'm thinking that might movies. happen in the in the next movie. <laughs> like, I didn't want to use that because Luke yeah. said Luke. You know, his whole thing was he was they wanted him to come back. And again, rewatching this, you know, I watched it. I started watching it the other day. I finished watching it today. They wanted him to come back. And, you know, what did he say? He's like, well, you think I'm just going to grab a laser sword and face down the entire First Order, which he sort of did. And he came back and was like, I'm the symbol of hope for the galaxy that they needed him to be. He couldn't do it physically. So he used the powers that he had achieved and attained over his his lifetime of becoming a Jedi Master, communing with those who have transcended the netherworld of the Force, and he, you know, was able to do the exact thing that he couldn't do in you know in the physical form. See, I he I don't think he could have done this physically. I think if he had showed up, if he had showed up on crate and tried to match up one-on-one with Kylo Ren, he would have gotten killed and it would have completely defeated the purpose of him trying to come out. And I think what he did here, if you think about it, that would have been better than what we saw. See, I disagree. I think what we got, I was Steve. Every time a Jedi is like, okay, I'm ready to become a force ghost with the exception of one like okay i am uh putting myself in a position where i'm ready to die i'm going to go and now i'm going to transcend uh the physical plane and become a force ghost you know we saw obi-wan do it he disappeared we saw um uh yoda do it and we saw luke do it it goes back to the old physics thing. Matter can be neither created nor destroyed. It can only change forms. So they, instead of being cut in half, it's like where'd the body go? It 
they used all of their uh, last ability to use the force and transform themselves into a force ghost so that they could therefore now interact uh, anywhere they wanted instantaneously. Like they are one with the force, thus making them much more powerful. And I think we're going to see that in the next movie. So I get that we all have varying opinions on this. Most of us for the most part, did not like it. But there were some things that we did like, except for Steve doesn't like anything. Um, oh, hey, 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 hey. You didn't like anything out of like, this. No, wait. When you, you say like... didn't, when you said didn't like anything, <laughs> are you referring everything in general or just this movie? Just, just this movie. No, I know you like things. I'm just saying you didn't okay. like this. <laughs> okay. There was nothing in this movie that really jumped out to you. Um, right, okay. Hold up, can we talk about also, though, um, like, there's one scene um, at the end of this, um, that closing montage, and um, um, I thought it was interesting when we see that kid. Yeah, we were, I was about to get to that, yeah. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Well, because that... <laughs> and that, that ties into what I was saying. Like, Luke is this symbol of hope now through the galaxy. Like, Luke, you know, sacrificing himself, you know, both, you know, on Octo where he was and on Crate where everyone saw him. Like this story, you know, expanded throughout the entire galaxy. Everyone now knows that Luke Skywalker, a single lone Jedi Knight, face down and like stories always get embellished as, you know, an oral history tends to do. But how much more embellished can can you have a story like this? Like he faced down, you know, a half dozen gorilla walkers that fired on him for, you know, a full minute or so. Nothing happened. He came down and defeated uh, Kylo Ren in single combat and then disappeared into the force. Like, and that's what these kids are telling this story. And this kid, you know, with the, uh, who helped them earlier, you know, he has now the uh, little secret decoder ring for the, uh, for the resistance like uses the force to pull the broom over to himself and then looks up to the sky, sees the shooting star. It's crazy to me because speaking of that, I feel like I don't think even Ray was doing that. You know, like, like this kid might be the next fucking crazy, like what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? He doesn't even, he's, Mm -hmm. he's moving brooms already. You know what I'm saying? How how is that going to tie into the next movie? I don't think it's going to tie into the next movie, but it'll tie into some sort of, um, yeah, I don't think it'll necessarily tie to the next film, but it's just also giving me the idea that in this universe there are more people out there that are probably similar to Ray or even more powerful. Well, there's there's a new trilogy that's coming out. They've already announced it for that'll come out in 2022, 2024, and 2026. But it's a totally new. Has nothing to do with the Skywalkers. Like I'm sure they might be mentioned. But, you know, it's I think it's going to be in the same vein as like the Mandalorian series where it's like it's its own it's its own entity. It doesn't uh, have any effect, although I will say that uh, not this week, because this week the episode comes out on Friday. But the next episode of the Mandalorian after that comes out on Wednesday, the 18th, the day before uh, the next uh, episode nine comes out, which is Thursday, the 19th. Because if you're dropping it that early, why is it tied into the film? There's two. There's two. There's for me. There's two. There's two reasons for this. It's either a, 
it has something to do with the film or B, they know everyone's going out to see the film and they don't want two properties competing with each other. It's one of those two. It could also be both. I agree. I agree. It's probably both. So let's let's wrap this up because now it's uh, almost midnight here and it's uh, we're approaching three and a half hours and I was I was hoping this was going to be a little uh, little earlier than it than it was like I I was hoping about two so uh, let's get some final thoughts and then uh, let folks know where they can follow you and your shows and uh, any other social media you have uh, Phil uh, I'll let you go first as you are uh, our senior member tonight. Well, um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, the, the original three, you know, are, are classics and, and, and films I, I loved as, as a childhood and all that. Uh, the, these, I, I've, last two, I feel more like um, the, the prequels. I'm, I'm not, like, as invested in them as uh, uh, I was the, the first three. Uh, good films, uh, good, you know, science fiction, specifically space opera. Which basically is uh, what Corey has been saying, you know, fantasy space. Um, and uh, if you those type of films, they're, they're pretty solid. Um, even um, when they do upset folks, you know, and and what they were expecting from because of uh, as uh, you said, Patrick, the, the characters and how they act in prior films and whatnot, and and how in some cases here. It, the writing or whatnot seems a little different, um, but all in all, um, good films, and I'm, I'm going to see the the, the next one as well. Um, I, I do think uh, I'm with Corey though. Like Rogue One, I think is, is probably one of my favorite mm-hmm. uh, out of the, out of the more recent films, and even the Solo one was was pretty solid. Um, if, where, where folks can find me, um, I do a podcast called Dark Podcast. You can find that pretty much anywhere. Cast are found. Uh, basically, we critique and dissect and review genre films and um, and whatnot. So, I uh, uh, hope folks will uh, check that podcast out. Dark Discussions Podcast. Yeah, definitely check it out. And uh, we're going to be hearing a little more about that next week as well. So, I'm excited yeah, for that. Great. Corey, you're up next. Where can folks find um, you? Well, and what did you think that, first? Uh, well, let me say what I think first, man. Um, I mean, even though, um, you know, episode eight isn't my favorite out of the batch, man, I still think it's a, a you know, it's a solid entry into this um, series. You know, it kind of a little clunkily expands on what we've got in the previous films and adds to the, adds to the story, you know, and, um, Overall, I really enjoyed this series, man. You know, it, it's, it, you know, it captured my imagination as a kid. And, you know, since then I've been hooked. And I continue to keep going back, you know, when, and checking out all iterations, man. And um, I would encourage people to not only check out the films, but also check out the um, extended stuff, especially these animated series. You know, I think those have done a pretty good job of expanding on the um, Star Wars galaxy. Definitely check out The Mandalorian. Even I've heard the comics have gotten crazy now, just on yes. expanding on this material. You know, they've got, a, I think there's a Han Solo book, there's a Vader book, um, you know, uh, just a larger Star Wars book, and um, and those things continue to be uh, well done and entertaining. And like I said, expanding on this um, 
universal material. The video games and, um, as well. The video games are doing the same thing. Yeah, I got to get the uh, fall in uh, order, man. I got to get that one next, man. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be covering this on my podcast and I'm um, do a podcast uh, from the Canopy podcast and we do um, a bunch of individual shows, but we definitely have a show called The Movie Massacre and we'll definitely be talking about um, Rise of the Skywalker, man. That's definitely going to be on deck um, as soon as that premieres. I got my tickets already. And um, you can check us out at um, uh, from the Canopy podcast on everything. Just search that on Stitcher. Podbean, uh, we're on Podcast Attic, I think we're on um, iTunes as well, so anywhere you listen to podcasts, man, just search that from the Canopy Podcast and you'll find us and uh, yeah, that's it, man you catch me at uh, Monkey Blood on Twitter and Instagram and also follow the podcast at from Canopy on Twitter and Instagram Steven, uh, oh wait if I could interject one moment, I forgot uh, yeah, I'll do the same thing that Corey did uh, uh, for Doc Discussions Podcast just go to darkdiscussions.com. Easily enough. Steven, your turn, bud. What do you got? What's What are your um, thoughts? And then... Uh, huh? What are your thoughts on the, the, the two films we discussed? And then tell us where we can... Uh, where folks can find you. So, um, Force Awakens was a breath of fresh air. You know, Return of the Jedi kind of just... Wrap, thought it would wrap everything up and we get Force Awakens and, you know, it exceeded expectations and then some in the bot, whether it be in the box office or in fans' hearts. Um, I will say only one thing about Last Jedi. It was a dumpster fire and it shouldn't have been made. Um, it should have been given to someone else to direct. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about it. And I hope Last Rise of Skywalker, uh, gets rid of the bad taste in people's mouths and we get something we get we get the the turd gets turned into a diamond that's all i'm gonna say about that um as for um as for where you can find super retro throwback reviews i had to think about it for a minute sorry um you can listen to our audio podcast, the new and improved Super Retro Throwback Reviews, the Audio Files version 2.0, on all major podcasting distributors, um, and also on the Dorkening Podcast Network. Um, we will be debuting a new podcast that will be also, we're going to be doing two podcasts at the same time. So we have that podcast I just mentioned, and also... January 1, we're going to be doing CSI, the Vegas Files audio podcast, where we're breaking down every episode of CSI every week. So episode 1 will be one week, episode 2 will be another week, you know, and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that is also going to be on the Dorkening Podcast Network. So you can uh, find that on thedorkening.com. Uh, that's our website where you can find all the shows for the network, uh, including... Uh, you know, some some new ones that are going to be uh, joining next year uh, in addition to uh, Steven's CSI show, which sounds very interesting, and I think that's going to be a really good time. Uh, this yeah. is actually the first time I'm hearing about it, so that's uh, thank you for sharing. Uh, um, the website, SuperRetroThrowbackReviews.com, Facebook, SuperRetroThrowbackReviews, Twitter, at SuperRetroTBR, Instagram, SuperRetroThrowbackReviews, and that's it. And I'll I'll try to remember to put links for everything in the uh in the group i i tend to share most of these shows into the 
the podcast group and my own personal page on Facebook anyway. So um, I want to thank you guys for joining us. And uh, even though it was a little longer than we thought it was going to be, but thank you for uh, taking the time. And uh, I'm glad we, ha- I think we had a really good discussion and I'm glad that we didn't all agree on everything. Cause I think that makes for better discussions to be completely honest with you. But uh, yeah, uh, we'll have you guys back on at some point, talk about some different stuff. We'll have you guys uh, on uh, Throwdown Thursday as well. Steven, I know I still owe you uh, an Aliens show that we got to talk about that I, I thought we might be able yeah. to do in December, but I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe uh, sometime next year, but we will definitely do that. And uh, yeah, definitely go check out everybody's shows. Everybody does a really good job. That's you know part of the reason why I want to invite them on here so we could have these varying discussions from folks with a lot of different viewpoints. But uh, I think with that being said, we'll go ahead. We'll take a quick break, and when I come back, I will uh, let you guys know what is coming up next week and uh, the following weeks. So uh, wait right there, and I will be right back. Hey, what's going on? I'm Steven. And I'm Ron. And we're the hosts of the Super Retro Throwback Reviews audio podcast. If you like to hear the latest pop culture news with some smart-ass commentary as well as the latest movie reviews, then check us out. Also, we're a multi-award-nominated podcast, so we're doing something right. God knows how that happened. So check us out on all major podcasts and distributors, and check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on all social media platforms. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. We all love a good cup of joe. There's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating, it brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. And I'm back. Thank you so much for uh, sticking with me throughout this whole show. And for the last few weeks, these have been some really, really long episodes, but I hope you've uh, gotten some interesting insight and uh, maybe some point of points of view that you might not have considered yourself, or maybe we covered everything that you would have uh, said yourself. But if you have any thoughts on these or any of the other uh, shows that we, uh, the topics that we'll be covering in the, the upcoming shows, uh, please do shoot me an email or shoot me a message on Twitter. You know, any one of those things works. Uh, you can reach me at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. So that's where uh, all the show emails go. And if you have a theory of maybe what's going to happen in The Mandalorian or how it's going to tie into Rise of Skywalker, uh, let me know. And especially after you've seen the new movie, let me know what you think, because we're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks. But next week, I'm going to be joined by the Rev from both the Negans and the Evil Streaks, Bob Mendel from 508, it came from the 508 uh, Productions, The Box, and Anthony of Anthony T. of Anthony T.'s Horror Show. Uh, and we are going to be discussing our thoughts and predictions on The Rise of Skywalker. Well, let me see if I can do an Indian 
The Rise of Skywalker. I don't know. That was probably fucking terrible. But uh, I don't want to uh, take up too much more of your time. So that's what we're going to be doing next week. And the week after that, obviously, is going to be a review. And uh, I will let you know who the guests are next week. Because uh, I just want to make sure everything's finalized before I announce anybody. Just in case anybody's got some sort of conflict or uh, scheduling uh, issue. So I don't want to announce anybody and then uh, have to unannounce them. But, uh, like I said, I hope you enjoyed this show this week and, you know, obviously the, the preceding shows. And I hope you enjoy the next shows coming up because I really like to talk about Star Wars, as you can probably tell if you've listened to any of them. But what I want to do today for my uh, shark uh, fun shark fact before I let you go, uh, I kind of want to expand a little bit on something that uh, I talked about earlier about how sharks that uh, give live birth, they, the largest of the sharks when they are born, tends to eat the rest of them. There's actually a scientific name for that. It's called, uh, uh, I'm sorry, They're, when the ones that are born eat the other ones, that's obviously uh, you know just regular cannibalism. But uh, a study was done with sand sharks where the embryos will actually devour each other in utero. It's called intrauterine cannibalism. So there would be 12 littermates that, that are in the womb, and uh, all but one is devoured by whoever the biggest one is. So whoever the biggest one is will eat pretty much everybody else except for the next biggest one. So if you uh, believe in reincarnation, you may want to be reincarnated as the biggest sand shark in the litter and not, uh, or at least the second biggest and not the smallest because that'll be a quick trip for you. So I think with that being said, we will go ahead and we will... uh, I will let you go, and uh, just remember, I am the podcaster, but as the listener, you are my chum. Have a great week, folks.